You're listening to Phone Booth Fighting, myself, Richard Hunter, and the two-time UFC heavyweight champion of the world, Frank Mir, coming to you twice weekly and kicking off the show this week, Frank, in a big way. It is a return of one of our most popular guests. Show in and show out. When we have this guy on the air, I was telling you last week, I think uh, uh, this guy gets uh, probably the biggest response of, of any guest that I would call a regular, and now... Not only is he a former UFC fighter, not only is he a uh, successful podcaster, but he is returning to the mixed martial arts scene as a competitor. I'm talking about the American gangster, Chell Son And Chell, welcome back to the show and welcome back to MMA. Let's hear it for me, everybody. I appreciate that intro. Well, you are, if I, if uh, memory serves, you have defeated every major champion the sport has ever known, and you retired from the sport as uh, the sport's highest-paid athlete, I, I think is what I learned from listening to uh, your podcast. You're welcome. I've got that down, right? Yeah, now i got to tell you this, because you're sitting next to a former champion, so i, I got to clarify it. Oh. I have beaten a champion from every major organization the sport's ever known, that was the copy. However, when, when, when it came out, it said beat every champion of every organization, which even in my ridiculousness is a claim <laughs> I've never made. That was just purely uh, red wrong. But I, 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 I went down the list of one organization. I'd never beat a UFC champion, and I had a match with Shogun. I was able to get over on him. He used to be a UFC champ, so that became true. But when I sent them the copy, they read it wrong, and I've ran with it ever since. But to clear my own credibility, that is not a claim that I've ever made. And I don't want Frank Mir jumping, coming after me somewhere thinking that I – no, didn't say it. Fair, fair enough. Yeah, fair enough there, Chell. Appreciate fair enough. The, right, uh, we got to leave it at that. I appreciate the fact-checking because that is a uh, theme of the evening we'll get into here in just a little bit because I know Chell was glued to his TV set watching the first presidential debate just like uh, we were here at Stately Mirror Manor. But first, uh, Chell, I don't want to bury the lead here where you're concerned. Uh, you have come out of retirement. The veil of suspension has been lifted. That made you free to go to uh, either return to the UFC or to another organization, and, and you've, you've chosen – uh, a, a different path. You're headed to Bellator, so tell me and Frank how the how the deal came about, and uh, you know when when it's all going to come to fruition. When we can expect to see you competing? Yeah. So uh, so thanks for that. You know, contracts are signed. Every everything said in that regard uh, in terms of me being with Bellator. Now we went a little bit of, uh, out of order. I started doing some media. I was about 20 minutes in. I realized, man, I'm I'm, I'm this is the road to nowhere. Well, why am I so off? And I realized, well, I'm a little off on the media because I have nothing to promote. I don't have an opponent yet. I don't have a date or a venue or a poster or tickets for sale. Uh, I got a, a contract with a company as opposed to, and Frank will know what I mean, but I don't have a bout agreement. And that's kind of the thing that you need before you can begin uh, to, to, to hype anything up or, or, or get the fans interested. So I'm with Bellator, and, and essentially the story on that, man, it was pretty quick. I thought I was with the UFC. I thought I had a active contract with the UFC when I thought about coming back and I finally made that decision uh, mentally. Physically, I had made it a while ago where I was showing up to practice and I was showing up twice a day and I was going through the motions, but 
the intensity wasn't there. The drive, you'll hear uh, fighters talking about the, the, the desire and the hunger. And some of that was missing. So eventually, boom, the physical and, and the mental came together. I was ready to make my comeback. I thought I was with the UFC. So I always thought when I came back, I would be coming back with the UFC. Um, that gets a little bit more complex than you probably want for this show. But, uh, I mean, the bottom line is I wasn't. I wasn't under contract with the UFC. I was wrong. So I, I had an option. I signed with Bellator. Do you look at uh? Do you feel though the uh, the drive to compete in? Because I've noticed anytime I have a, a time off, it seems like you almost kind of rethink your training program. You're like, man, I know we're supposed to be in the gym all the time, but I feel so good and look so much better when you take a little bit of a layoff and you kind of come in with a fresh legs, fresh mind, and have a new approach. Have you felt that rejuvenation where you just feel you know, going at it again? You're in the gym and you're hungry to go out there and you know and extend your legacy even farther. Yeah, and you know that's so true. Your your first day back is always such a good day, and you think, oh wow, I must you know must have really needed to freshen up, or maybe I got stronger, maybe I got wiser, whatever it is. And and pretty soon over the as the weeks go by and the workouts add up, you realize I lied to myself. I I, I was fresh and that was good, but no, I haven't actually gotten better at this. Um, you know, it's hard to get better at something by not doing it. And when I was out, I was doing my best to duplicate it. Um, I would show up to grappling events. Every time my phone would ring and I got asked to grapple somebody, I said yes. Didn't matter when, where, who, weight class. I just wanted to be in the back. I wanted to have that goal, that deadline. I wanted to slap hands with somebody, go as hard as I could, shake hands when it's over, just kind of go through that process in front of the people with the lights on, all, all these things that you just can't mimic in a practice room. And, uh, Frank, I did the best I could, man, but the bottom line is that's the true answer it was the best i could there's nothing like getting in that ring and competing i'm not a big believer in ring rust i just i just i'm not but i know that it's a real thing i know historically it's affected guys i know it did not affect dominant Cruz. so now he's my inspiration to go well look if dominant could come back after three and a half years in an injury i wasn't injured i was still in the in the gym i was still able to go out and compete there was no strikes involved but I came as close to duplicating this process as I can. I came up short. It's not the same process, but boy, I'm close, and I feel ready because of it. Now that you do know that you know you're jumping into the Bellator waters, is there anybody that on the radar more than somebody else? I mean, and I mean, really, are you going to go middleweight, light heavyweight? You've been very successful at both. Well, my plan was to come back to middleweight. I I felt like I had a run at middleweight. I could beat anybody in the world. Now, the, the truth was, there was always guys that could beat. But there was, on, on the right day, in the right circumstance, there was nobody I couldn't beat. And I didn't have that same luck at 205, man. I ran into some guys in some positions I get, I just couldn't get out of. So I thought, you know what, if I come back, I'm going to do it middleweight. And uh, so I started making that process. I lost some weight. I was getting in great shape. I got down to about 210 pounds. But again, I thought I was with the UFC. So I was sizing those guys up, and I was practicing what I do with Jacare, and I've been in there with this thing before, and what would I do with Yoel Romero? And this is what I would go to bed at night and fantasize about. And uh, when the opportunity came for Bellator, that came at 205 pounds. Now, they didn't lock me into that, but when I look at the roster and I go, okay, you guys are about to get Vandalay. You've already got Tito, who I, 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 I want to get my hands on Tito. you got Rampage over there. you got... It's kind of the 205-pound division, so I've been trying to gain a little bit of weight uh, to go 205, but yeah, when you ask who I'm looking at, man, um, the first thing I'm looking to do is compete, 
And I hear these guys get to a point in their career and they only want title shots or they only want the big money fights or they want the big draw. I, I get all of those things. I got no problem with any of those guys. I just don't share that psychology. I just want to compete. And whoever they put across from me, I promise you I'll train hard. I'll make the sacrifices. I'll go as hard as I can. And when time runs out, somebody's going to win. I, I agree with you. I, I find that refreshing. There's so many guys I talk to that talk about winning titles, and sometimes when I do interviews, I think so many people have put that in the media's mind that that's what matters. You know, you'll hear like, "Well, what's left for you to do?" You know, you've entered the Hall of Fame, you've won titles, and I've always said I fight for the same reason I fought the very first fight. I want to challenge myself. Fighting scares me. I walk in there, and it brings out the worst and the best in me at the same time. And I can go home at the end of the day and go. Uh, I liked what I did here. I didn't like what I did uh, do there. And I have somewhere to step on to go ahead and drive and push forward because I never wanted to be one of those posers that just, you know, hung out in a gym and, you know, what I could have done if I hadn't competed. But it's like, yeah, but what could you do under the heat of fire? And then let's see what you're really made out of. Yeah. And, and see, I share that same mindset, you know, and, and it, I think it did come from my wrestling background. But now I've got into competitive grappling. I was at a tournament over the weekend. It was a local tournament. It took me about. 40 minutes to drive to it from my driveway uh it was hard it was tough guys came from all but it was great it was great competition and people greeted me and you know i kind of felt weird there because they were treating me different it's like guys i'm just to do this been working on a bunch of moves and i want to come out and see if i can make any of these these work in the heat of battle and that's what this is about and if i can great and if i can't then i'm going to come in second and go back to the gym and have something to work on but i never got tied up in all that uh I'm mean, out here, guys, talk about legacy and some of this other stuff, and I, I always feel like, uh, you know, that's the guy that graduated two years ago, but he's showing back up to the football games wearing his old Letterman's jacket. It's like, listen, you know, when you turn the page, you turn the page. And I don't need to be remembered. Sometimes when people ask me that, too, how do you want to be remembered in a sport? It's like, well, gee, that, that'd be a nice thing, but I don't have to be remembered at all. There's gonna be, I'm still going to be a husband. I'm going to be a dad. Like, there's other things that I, I want to be able to take that Letterman's jacket off and not always look back to the, the glory days from 92 to 95 when I was in high school. Like, you know, they, things, you move on. Chill, when you when you look at Bellator's light heavyweight roster, I think one oh, of the... They're in trouble. Oh, yeah. They're in trouble. Can no. you imagine what it was like for those guys when they thought that Chael P. Sonnen entered the mix? Every one of them had a swallow real deep. These guys are now... Some of them are... Some of them are congratulating me as, as their way to stay out of my vengeance, and some of them are pretending that they want to fight me as a way of staying out of my vengeance. The bottom line is, if you've got your whole life in check, you're over in Bellator, you're at 205, you're sizing up Phil Davis and all these, and then you see Chael P. Sonnen enters the mix. Could you, <laughs> Richard, could you even imagine what a rotten day that was for those young men. No, no. It makes me thankful I weigh 160, even though I'm not signed to Bellator. I just don't even want to be remotely associated with 205 right now with you entering Bellator. Uh, but let me ask you about that, because I, I look at the names in, in that division, and one of the things that jumps to mind is not only are there compelling matchups, obviously the fight that never happened between you and Vanderlei, we might finally get to see that, but between Tito and, and Rampage, you know, a guy like King Mo for that matter. You know what you've got in those guys? Not only uh, world-class names, but guys who know how to promote fights. I mean, you've got a you've got some verbal dance partners there. I'm not saying they're your equal, but I don't think they're going to be at a total loss for words uh, when you challenge them verbally. 
Yeah, man, they'll do their part. And, you know, I, I think it's going to be Tito and I. I'm as close to announcing that fight here on your show as I possibly can be. We both verbally agreed. We've, we've got a date. We've got everything but the paperwork. Um, I'm, I'm certain it's going to be Tito and I fighting. We're going to fight in January. Um, but you're right. I mean, he'll do his part. Look, when you call it, I called out Tito. When you call out Tito, I knew exactly what was going to happen. I knew that Tito Ortiz isn't going to back down. Tito Ortiz has no chance in that fight. I'm going to throw him down and beat a hole into his head until he gives up or until time runs out. But I knew he would accept the challenge. That's who Tito is. You can say whatever you want about him. And I don't have a lot of great things to say about him, but I will fully admit that dude's a fighter. If you poke the bear, he's going to respond. And he did. He walked right into it like a dummy. I knew exactly how that. I had this whole thing orchestrated, gentlemen, all the way to a T, and it's worked out beautifully thus far. And do you, uh, if, if the fight goes down in January, have they given you any indication about location or even part of the country yet? No, I assume it's in, I assume it's in California, but I, I base that on the fact that we were originally going to fight November 19th, and that was going to be in California. California is uh, uh, Strike Forces, or I apologize, Bellator's home base, much like uh, for Zufa in the UFC, which is now called something completely different, uh, it's Las Vegas. They, they did their fights out of California, so I assume that's where it will be, but I don't know. I would imagine they've already got a date and a venue and, and all of that booked for January. I just don't know where it is. Wherever that venue for January is, that's where I'm going to be beating up Vito at. Well, if it's California, we're going to be there because uh, Frank and I are traveling regularly to California. Are you up for that, Frank? Let's do, let's do a podcast from the audience. It'll be hilarious. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, as far as that matchup with Tito, I agree with you on the feet. You know, obviously striking-wise, you're way too busy. Tito of years of late just doesn't seem to throw enough output and kind of really kind of gasses. Uh, the last couple fights I've seen him in, the second, third rounds, his output just really drops to nil. Um, Wrestling-wise, obviously, I, I give you the edge. You know what, Tito, though, I, what I do think that people underestimate him, though, is he isn't bad at submissions. I've seen him pop up some submissions on guys. I mean, his uh, you know really one-sided fight against Machida almost was an upset. He lost every round in that fight. I don't even think he landed a strike. But in the closing uh, seconds, he threw up a triangle and he had Machida flipping on his side, running each way. It was about uh, you know about a half a breath away from uh, being the upset. You know what, Tito is underrated there, and he Tito put a lot of time in the gym. He worked on his boxing. He was a lifelong wrestler, and then he got really into the jiu-jitsu where he was hanging out with Dean Lister. I mean, anywhere Tito went, when he was the king of the world, he was on his media tours, he he made Dean Lister come along. He got Dean a plane ticket. He got Dean a hotel room. He, started, he really started putting time in, and I agree with you, Frank. He is very underrated on the ground. And he's not necessarily going to flow and roll and do some of the stuff like you do, but he will throw up a submission 100%, whether it's that triangle or a straight arm bar. And he does it quick. He moves those hips quickly. You can't really relax on top of them. Well, let's talk about what's changed, uh, Chael, for you personally since uh, you stepped out of the cage a couple of years ago. When you left, uh, your full-time job to exclusivity was being the American Gangster. Now you're part-time American Gangster, part-time American Podcaster, because your welcome has expanded. You know, Frank, uh, uh, just a while back, you and I went to two episodes a week trying to keep up with this guy. Well, now he's three episodes a week, so he's a step ahead of us again. Again. So tell me about that. First of all, congratulations on that, Chill. But secondly, now you got uh, two successful careers to balance here. 
Yeah, I appreciate that a lot, and and I I have a feeling you guys have the same reaction. But these aren't work, you know. Any anytime you can do a job and it's a profession, and what that means is you provide something and somebody gives you a check at the end of it. That's a job. Um, boy, these don't feel like jobs, you know, Richard. When I got lined up for your show, I was excited. I don't know if Frank told you I was texted last Monday, wondering wonder where the call was because I thought we were on last Monday. Then I found, oh wait, I'm a week off. I put it in my calendar. Wrong. I look forward to these things, man. I've only got a couple of uh, of hobbies and passions. Uh, we're about to get into one, which is politics and the debate. But the other is this sport, man. I love these combat sports, whether it's it's uh, you know MMA fighting submission wrestling i even watched some of the pro wrestling from time to time uh the, the olympics just went on so we saw the, the the amateurs the boxers the wrestlers the taekwondo the judos i love this stuff i'm passionate about it it's fun it does not feel like work you, you know you get on the phone with somebody that you like visiting with in this case you and frank and you just record a conversation and uh, uh people enjoy listening but man it doesn't feel like work it's fun well, I got one more podcasting question for you before we uh, we go to politics, and this may just be the the, the broadcaster in me. But uh, let me pull back the curtain here on how smooth Chael is on the You're Welcome podcast. And you correct me if I'm wrong, Chael, but I am of the belief that you, sir, are a an advertiser's dream when it comes to the live read. You are so smooth with this. He's got this formula down, Frank. Well, I know when you when you listen to these episodes as well, next time you listen, see if you pick up on this. Chell, you've got a formula down where you'll do you'll open the show almost like a monologue, almost kinda of like what Johnny Carson or Jay Leno would do. You just kinda of come out with a story, something that happened that day and kinda of gets us engaged. And then all of a sudden, like a punch I didn't see coming you just segue right into a smooth live read to bridge the gap between monologue and featured guest. Uh, am I the first to compliment you on this, or I'm guessing you've got some pretty satisfied advertisers with the way that you do that? You know, you are the first to, to, to pick up on it, but I stole that move. I stole that move from Adam Carolla. When I got into podcasting, uh, and Adam is number one. Now, now, the poor guy does 11 podcasts a week and each one is three hours he does one on saturday he does one on sunday he's got one on home improvement he's got some sex education I mean, he's all over the board this guy but he does 11 a week with that said he he is number one uh, viewership i i was able to do his show and with his show you have to be live in studio there's no phoners no skypes none of this other stuff that the rest of us survive on you got to be there in l.a so i fly out i do a show and he never takes a break. He never says, uh, okay, more more with Chael, back in a moment. And then he throws to the commercial so that somebody could, you know, fast forward or skip. He just keeps the conversation and then slips in. By the way, Valentine's Day is coming up. And if you're looking for a great trip, whatever it might be. And I even said to him right on, right on the air, I go, hey, what did you, you just do there? I said, no, no break for the commercial? Right on the air. I call and he goes, no, I don't like to take breaks. He says, I, I, don't, I don't like to give the audience a heads up that uh, a break is coming. I like to make it one long show. So I asked him what you just asked me, and we, we made it part of the show. But I learned something that day. It's like, look, if Adam Kroll is number one and, and he's doing something, man, you've got to steal these ideas. Yeah, I, I, I think you adapted it uh, beautifully, and I, I admire it when I listen to Your Welcome. You can listen to Your Welcome, too. It's available uh, wherever podcasts are found, iTunes and uh, Stitcher and Google Play and SoundCloud. And all you know, every place you find phone booth fighting, uh, you find Your Welcome. Frank? Yeah, actually, uh, Chael, how do you um, keep up 
the fact that you you have been in martial arts for so long, wrestling, whatever you uh, you know, different people have different names for, but in combat, basically your whole life, and I, I still hear in your voice, you know, and the things that you're saying, such a fresh outlook to always constantly learning and improving. That really, I very rarely find anybody who's accomplished and getting older that they keep a hold of that. It seems like whether we're talking about martial arts and you're going to submission grappling tournaments or whether we're talking politics or right now you're talking about podcasting. You're listening to whoever the best is and pulling out tips and and techniques and watching them and you're keeping yourself driving forward to constantly improve. Well, I, I tell you this, I'm a sucker for compliments, and when one comes from the two-time world champion, it means a lot, so thank you. But uh, I actually can identify it. I came from the school of Randy Couture. I was one of the younger guys in the room when he was the king of the world, and so I'm sitting back wanting what he has, wanting the opportunities, wanting the skill set, wanting the drive and the work ethic and, and the opportunities that he had. And I swear to goodness, you know, people always would talk about Randy with his longevity. How is he able to go to 47 years old? How is he... You know, so smart in his training and his preparation. And that is true. He was very careful, and he did uh, spar the right way, and he did have the protective pad, and that is true. But one of the things that I contend, even though he doesn't, you won't hear Randy talk about this, this is my contention for being on the outside looking in, but he would always go with the kids. We, we'd have a workout, you know, all, all of us adults, all of us outside of college, and, you know, that, that age range, 23 to 30 years old, whatever we were. And Randy would be in the high schools with the freshmen and the sophomore and the juniors, the 14 and the 15 and the 16-year-olds getting two-hour workouts in before he would come over and work out with us. The rest of us for our second-day workout, we would, we would do a lift and a run or a drill or a one-on-one with a coach. Randy would always be in the room with the kids. And as I watched that, I realized it's very hard to pass him up. It's very hard for him to, to grow old or to grow outdated when he's in the room with the next generation. Uh, so I just started copying that. I started going, making sure I'm at the junior highs and the high school and the, the community college, you know, with, the, with those kids anywhere from, from 12 uh, to 20 and 21 years old. And the workouts are a little tough, I will admit. Those, those younger guys can push hard. They go about two hours and 15 minutes. I like to go about an hour and 40. Um, but aside from that, it's very hard to get passed up by the next crew, if you're training with that very crop. And I, I watched Randy do that. I contend to this day that that's why he was able to stay on top for all these years. All right, Chill politics. As we tape, the first presidential debate between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump has just concluded. I watched every second of it. Frank was watching here. I know you did, too. Give me your thoughts. All right, so first off, it turned into, all hell broke loose right out of the gate, okay? This turned into a dogfight. Now, what I thought was going to happen is what everybody else thought would happen, which is Trump needs to come out, and he needs to be extremely calm. And I thought it was going to be a dull fest. She is going to try to outdole him. He is going to try to outdole her. Now, he has to for two reasons. One, his temperament has been called into question. But two, and far more importantly, when a man comes after a woman, In any walk of life, including a verbal debate over politics, he can look like a bully extremely easy. Without bullying, without being brash, without being a jerk, he can look that way. It's a very slippery slope, and body language and tone and temperament matter in these things. So I thought that Trump would be advised to go up there, to go ahead and lose. If this is a a boxing match, 
Go out there, throw your jabs, eat up the 12 rounds, go home the loser. That's a win for you. I know that I'm right. I know that he was advised that way. He just said to hell with it right off the bat. He came out there, and, he, and Donald Trump went Donald Trump. I thought it was great. I thought it was quite refreshing. Hillary had some fantastic lines. However, they were canned, and they came off as canned. If she could have a canned and pocketed line that she delivers as though it was organic and off the cusp, I think that she did have some moments where she also had a couple of grand slams in there tonight. She uh, The most powerful line of the night, but it backfired because it was so obviously prepared. She says, I believe Mr. Trump just accused me of preparing for this debate. And he's right. I did prepare. And you know what else I prepared for? To be the president. And on its face, it was just a gorgeous line. It was so good. But when she delivered it, she looked like the cat that ate the canary, where she knew she had this wonderful line. She was excited to get it out. She was excited to hear the room explode. And when the whole room realized that it was pocketed, planned, and well-placed, it took away from it. But look, I thought Hillary did a good job. I thought it was a good debate. I think she came in second. I thought that Trump took command. I thought that uh, for some of his embarrassments, he owned them, which is what he's known for doing. He steered right into it. No denial, no lying. Uh, I think that that's, that's really effective. But as far as commanding the stage and having the body language, I thought that it tipped towards him favorably, pretty favorably. I'll ask you about a couple of specifics here, Chael, because I thought uh, Trump came out very strong. I thought uh, the first 20 minutes he was really solid on trade, things like NAFTA, TPP. And, you know, Chael, you're a, an avowed conservative. Uh, I am a professed liberal, but a real liberal, not a moderate. And I'm as a liberal, I didn't like NAFTA and I don't like TPP. He hit her on the fact that, you know, Bill Clinton shepherded NAFTA. He hit her on the fact that she had flip flopped on TPP. And that was particularly worrisome to me because as a, a Bernie Sanders backer, that was something that Sanders and Trump, at least at face value, had somewhat in common was uh, uh, protectionist leanings on trade. So I, I, I'll, I'll certainly give you that first 20 minutes to one third of the debate where I thought and, and I've think I'm looking at this fairly objectively, but I'd like to get your your thoughts from the other side. Where I thought Trump might have had his first stumble was, and, and it's actually a theme that repeated itself several times, was when he attempted to counterpunch underneath her time. So she's talking, she's laying out her prepared narrative, and you're right, she was very prepared. And he would try to counterpunch her with just a little three-word uh, response. The first one was after he had said, okay, I made $694 million last year. That's a brag. I've been successful. Then we get right into releasing tax returns, and she says, well, the problem with that is the last time we saw him make any financial declaration, he was about uh, $650 million in debt. So they start going back and forth on that. But she referenced, Chael, the last time, because of casino dealings, that he had to uh, account publicly for tax returns a year he had paid no federal taxes. And as she's laying out, that means no money for schools. That means no money for veterans. That means no money for health care. He says right underneath that, that, that makes, makes me, me smart. smart. Yeah. I, I don't think that's, uh, I, you know, the thing is, in my world, that's a gaffe, but I don't know, to, to a Trump supporter, do they like that? Yeah, well, so uh, there's rules to a debate. It's like anything else. You have to follow the rules, and the truly great debaters, 
don't. They really, I, if you can remember Joe Biden, Joe was the man. He interrupted Paul Ryan more times. It was rude. It was condescending. But it's Paul Ryan's job to call him out on it. It was Paul Ryan's job to say, my turn to respond. Zip your lip. I listen to you. Now you're going to listen to me. Uh, so Trump continued to do that to her. But the Donald Trump playbook says, and whether you, it, from his time on The Apprentice, he would fire people over this, to the art of the deal, to different interview he, uh, interviews he does. The Donald Trump playbook says when somebody says something that isn't right, you call him out right away. He calls himself a counterpuncher, but he believes in calling people out and doing it right away. So he just couldn't keep his mouth shut. Now, in, in the spirit of debating, yes, that does bother me, because the debates only have a few rules, and that is one of them. When, the, when one person has the conch, they get it for all two minutes, and then you get your rebuttal. And in the matter of just simple politeness, he needed to listen to her. But that's her job to call him out and say, Donald, you're being rude. That was a miss by her. If she would have simply said, you're being rude, he wouldn't have done it again. But she allowed herself to be bullied. So as far as the gamesmanship uh, goes right there, it's tough. If you're in his shoes, yeah, there's going to be fact-checking and not everything she said was true. And not everything that Lester Holt said was true. And Trump did call him out. Trump called him out flat out on the spot. That's not true. I don't know where that came from. Call Sean Hannity. He's the first one I talked to. He's the last one I talked to. Um, so you do get a little bit of that, but you're right. He did that nonstop. There was even one time tonight that was a major gap where he leaned into the microphone, he opened his mouth, and like a non-word came out. Mm. Uh, it, nobody knows what it was. He, he was. he tried to say, it was almost an embarrassing moment where it looked like he was going to eat the microphone. His mouth opened, he leaned in, then his mouth closed. He leaned back, and no word was ever formed. So, yeah, there was a little bit of that, and, and that might go away in the second go-around. She might be ready to say, hey, you're being rude. It's my time. And he might be ready to not. I, I don't know, but I get your point. I get the gamesmanship. I personally, I liked it because when she's starting to say so, it is very tough for her, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, it is a fair point by Trump. It is a fair point when she comes out and says, we're going to stop ISIS and we're going to do it right away. It's very fair. Whatever side you're on, it's very fair for Trump to say, but you're in power right now. You have the ability right now to stop them, and you haven't. So you're telling us that you're going to do it, and you're going to do it quickly and swiftly and fiercely, but you have those votes. You have the ear of the commander-in-chief right now. That's a fair point by him. So when she tries to shove it back on him and say things like, uh, well, you were for going for Iraq. Uh, you were for going into Iraq, even though now you're trying to say you weren't going into Iraq. It's like, lay out, Trump, because you weren't in the room being debriefed with a vote anyway. You weren't a politician that could have voted on that one way or the other. You're sitting here arguing that you told Sean Hannity in an interview that nobody watched in 2004 that you were against it. It didn't matter if you were for it, against it, or didn't even know how to spell Iraq. You weren't in power. She was. Yeah, so that, no. she's the one that has to bear this cross, not you. Quit defending yourself. No, you know what? That's a good point, Chael, because even if Trump had learned from recent history, I mean, that was Obama's ace in the hole when he was running against Hillary Clinton because he had not been in the U.S. Senate at the time that the war was authorized. He couldn't be held to that vote. Uh, Trump really could benefit from the fact of just saying, hey, I, I wasn't in power. You were. Uh, you cast that vote. Instead, I thought he got bogged down, Chael, in getting into, well, I said this on Howard Stern 
Stern, but it was really noncommittal on Howard Stern. And then if you'd listened to Hannity, you would have heard this. And then he referenced the third interview. To me, that was kind of getting into the weeds on the issue. Totally agree, which is a win for her. In politics, if you are explaining, you are losing. You need to be on the attack the entire time. Anytime you are explaining, you are losing. He should have simply said, I wasn't debriefed. I did not cast a vote. How about you, Hillary? And she'd have been stuck going, well, yeah, I did vote. Now, either way you want to go with that, I'm not sure how much the American people really care. 2004 was a couple of presidencies ago. One was a Republican. One was a Democrat. I kind of feel like it's water under the bridge at this point. But the bottom line was he didn't vote either way. Who gives a damn if he made a comment for or against? She was a senator. She was a first lady. She was the secretary of state. She had power. He had none of those things. Who cares what he said? And I think he should have just shoved that into her face. Instead, he really did lock in on the fact of, well, I told Howard this on one day, but I had told Hannity before. It's like, Donald, you were never in power. You're still not in power. You've never been a senator. None of these things are on your lap. She can't say the same. Let her wear it. Yeah, and I qualify all of these these thoughts, you know, that that I have about it with, you know, maybe people aren't going to care. I mean, uh, uh, the American public surprises me a lot of times with what they really do or don't care about. Now, one other curious thing about a position he's taken lately, and I ask what you think about this, Chell, and uh, Frank will probably have an interesting take on it being a big Second Amendment guy. I think it's curious, given that Trump is obviously the candidate of choice for the NRA and, 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 uh, you know, the, the, the Second Amendment crowd, is that he's really pushing of late this stop and frisk thing. Now, that is a Rudy Giuliani uh, influenced position, I would assume, having been the mayor of New York when that policy was implemented. But, you know, in, in, in the urban setting, it was uh, ruled as unconstitutional because it targeted blacks. But I think what the big part of this is that nobody's really talking about is, you know, who's not going to be real happy about pushing a stop and frisk agenda is uh, people up your way. I mean, out in Oregon, Washington State, Idaho, guys who are, you know, clinging to their guns, as Obama would say. I mean, maybe they don't feel like in reality uh, that's going to come to Main Street in their part of the country. But in principle, uh, stop and frisk is actually something that a a gun rights purist would be against. Uh, What do you think? Yeah, that was a bit of a mess. So so the the one... Uh, petri dish, if you will, that we really had was New York City. So, so that's where it was happening. We we were all hearing about this stuff, but it was happening in New York City. So you look at New York City now. Look, that turned into flat racism. You go look at the numbers of the people that were checked, that were stopped, and then frisked. They were black and they were Latino. Now, was a white slipped in there? Sure. Was a woman slipped in there? Probably very rarely. Was was a child or an elderly or any other class that you could point to? Boy, you'd have to search those numbers. But the staring off the page in black and white were the blacks and the Latinos. So it turned into this real racial thing. Now, the other side of it, you've got to decide which one of these you want to be. Because that's a fair point, that it did turn into race. The other fair point, and the one that some people are hanging their hat on, is they dropped crime 66%. They, they dropped it from uh, 2,500 uh, gun-related, I, I think it was deaths, I think it was straight-up murders, down to 500, and right. that's what uh, Trump had talked about tonight. He even conceded, look, 500 is a terrible number, but uh, if you're a CEO and you're staring at numbers, 
Yeah, going from 2,500 to 500 is a good thing. That's about as good a news as you can say for stop and frisk. I don't even like talking about the topic because it is it turned into it straight up racist. Now, I know it wasn't intended that way. I know it was founded by good people. I know Rudy Giuliani. I know Bloomberg even went along with it. The Blasio's against it. I'm not calling those guys or labeling them anything. I'm just saying if you're being fair and you're looking at it like a CEO, if you look at who is getting stopped and frisked, they were black and they were Latino, and that's a problem. And I don't know how to solve it. I love that the crime went down. I'll concede that point. But we've got to take care of the other one. And if we get some smart people together, I think we can find a way to do it. But I'm not, I'm not here to propose an idea to you. I'm not smart enough to think of an idea. If you're stopping and frisking random people that look dangerous to you and you're finding guns and you're doing good stuff like that, but those people are black and Latino, you've got a problem. In my opinion, you've got a problem. That's, ra- that, that's racist. It does seem, though, I don't know, I'm a, a big uh, Second Amendment guy, and my first response to the idea of stop and frisk is not opposed to it. Do I think that, you know, obviously we can be a little bit more sensitive towards the race issue? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, as a father and as a husband, I like to know that my wife is safe when she goes to the grocery store. I want to know that my kids are safe, you know, to and from the park. And you tell me something is implemented in and it, and it solves crime. I don't find it that uh, unappealing. I mean, if uh, an officer stops me and asks to check, I carry a gun, but I have a CCW and I'm legal. Is it a little bit of time out of my day? Eh, possibly. Um, at the same time, does it make me feel better to know that maybe somebody who's carrying a gun that shouldn't have one, and usually the guy who's carrying a gun that shouldn't have one's probably up to no good. He he uh, stands a greater risk to being pulled over and uh, you know taken uh, to jail. Yeah, that, that sounds like a good idea to me. Yeah, and particularly in a city, Frank, particularly in a city like New York, and people that haven't been to New York really can't relate, but, I mean, there are people everywhere, people walking on top of people. So when you're talking about bad guys and felons and gang members and guys with records out there and guys that don't have the permits and they're packing these weapons, some of which are illegal, some of which are coming with drugs, yes, good things are happening. People in my area, to Richard's point, yeah, we have a harder time relating. We've got a lot of farmland out here. Kids get their first gun around eight years old. Uh, when some of America hears that, they'll blow their mind and, and think we've got bad parenting. No, man, that's the way it is out here. We got we got farms and country, and you know, kids kids get BB guns by four or five, and and they got real guns by eight, and they're in they're in classes and whatnot with their fathers again at eight years old, and hunters training, and uh, so it is a little bit different part of the world. But for people who've been to New York or these big cities where it's completely crowded and there's so much crime and so much danger, twenty five hundred people murdered uh uh donald trump brought up uh president obama's hometown of chicago today i had no idea three thousand people shot since january 1st of this year that we're only what three quarters of the way through the year three thousand people i mean that's like a worn torn beirut i just can't relate to that we've had two killings in my hometown they were in the same day uh it was a murder suicide um and I'm going back a number of years to find out. I mean, we just don't see it. But it, so, so it's a part of the country where you get a you get a farm guy like myself that it, it's tough to relate to. I did some traveling because my sport, some opportunities to. to but so I got to see a little bit more. My opinion is a little bit more evolved than some people's would. But man, it's a different world out there. And I get your point, Frank. You know, when you when you've got kids, particularly, and you got a wife, and you got ones you're worried about, you find out that guys with guns are getting them taken away. It's a positive thing. 
The last thing I want to ask you about uh, with the debate, Chael, is the finish. Because as you know from the world of pro wrestling, you can screw everything else up, but not the finish. So let's talk about those uh, waning uh, moments of the debate, uh, the big close. Um, Something else that that I thought uh, Trump may have gotten baited into a time or two uh, reared its head right at the end. And, and this is where Hillary Clinton is hitting him on uh, misogynistic comments, right? So she says, look, Donald Trump has called women pigs, slobs, dogs. He said that pregnancy is an inconvenience. And right when she says the part about pregnancy, he goes, I never said that. And there's something in the, you know, when, when you let pigs, slobs, and dogs go by, and I understand you want to correct the record when she then slips in pregnancy as an inconvenience and you don't think you said that, and you say, well, I didn't say that. Uh, it doesn't necessarily look good that you didn't object immediately to the first three adjectives. You know what I mean? It, because it, all, it, it, it almost looks as though you were agreeing and conceding to them, which, right. in, in fairness, He'd have to because he said all of those things about Rosie O'Donnell. I know he went for a laugh at the end there. I don't think that he got the laugh. I think that if he could take one part out, that would probably be it. Yeah. Um, I think that a better answer uh, would have just simply been, I, I have six kids, and it, it, it pains me to believe that any of my wives would have been punished for, for, for bringing that into the world. And I think he could have just left it at that. And you're right. She did bait him into that, and she is destroying him uh, Excuse me, with women. Uh, I mean, it's not even close. She's got the black boat. He's he's doing a good job, and he's reaching out, and he's making some of the right moves. I don't think he's got enough time with 54 days left to the election. On the women, he's not going to get that one back. That was powerful by her, and she won that small exchange. And to your point, it was at the end. If there's any part that you need to win, it's the finish. Last question then. Do you think at this point, and I realize we, we still have a number of weeks to go, but do you think Trump wins this, Chael? Yes, uh, and I and I'm not willing to bet very much on it. Uh, the guy's a winner. He just is. He he gets into all sorts of things, and he's a winner. He's also very honest. There were some real sticky points tonight that she brought up, and the cover up is worse than the crime. Had he tried to cover up, knowing people aren't paying attention, knowing that hey, I'm I'm the guy on TV in the fancy suit, and whatever I say, most people are going to believe is true. If he would have done that, which most politicians historically do. He would have paid for it later on. It was better to just deal with it tonight. Yes, that's true. Not everything you said is. Some of those things are true. I used the laws. I did this. He got around some of those things, but he did deal with them, or I don't think they'll come up uh, in the future. I also would have liked to have seen him make her a deal. I thought he had a very powerful line tonight, which he quickly backed off of, which is, you know, you're wondering why I didn't, why, why I haven't shown my. You, you're saying you want to see my tax returns. Well, I'd like to see your thirty-three thousand deleted emails. And Lester Holt said, "Well, is this a negotiation?" And Trump said, "No." I thought he should have said, "Yes, yes, Lester, it is. I will make a deal right now. I will put my tax returns out tonight if she will release her thirty-three thousand emails tonight." I thought he could have shoved that in her face, and she wouldn't have had an answer. And he can, he simply could have gone back to it day after day story after story, commercial after commercial, soundbite after soundbite, every time she brings up his tax return and then tries to start all these guesses and rumors, he could have said, I'll release them when you release your emails. And I guarantee she would have shut it. Because she'd have to. She deleted them. They're gone. He could have stopped her in her track. And for whatever reason, the pit bull that he is, for whatever reason, he didn't really sink his teeth 
into that bone. And it was one of the, he, he criticized Bernie Sanders when Bernie Sanders didn't do it to her. And tonight was his night. He touched on it. He jumped right back out of the water. And I, I remember when it happened thinking, okay, why did he do that? I know how he feels about that. I know what he said about Bernie for Bernie not doing it. I've seen him do things uh, on Fox and CNN and bring this up, but he let her off the hook tonight. Is he saving that for debate number two or three? I don't know. Maybe he just missed one. I don't know. You know what I thought that was, Chell? Because I, I keyed in on that moment, too. I thought when Lester Holt said, so is this a negotiation? It spooked him for a second because I think the I my ter- my take was the way that affected Trump was that if he wasn't careful about what he said next, if he kind of continued to if he doubled down, that what he would be accused of is oh now he's holding the tax returns over the heads of the voters that that if she will do this you know quid pro quo he will do that and I know we said that line before and I do think it's very effective but I it just seemed to me like his the way that that he recoiled when Holt said, "Oh, are you saying this is a negotiation?" He was he was hesitant to commit to the idea that, yeah, my tax returns are in play, and now I'm you know now it's the art of the deal, and I'm I'm trying to to strike a bargain. That was my takeaway. Yeah. yeah, you know what? I think that's fair. Now that you've said it, yeah, I think something about that spooked him, and I think if he just would have had a couple more seconds to process it. The right answer would have been, yeah, yeah. In fact, it's not a negotiation, it's a deal. Hillary, do we have a deal? I put my return out, you put your emails out. Do we have a deal, yes or no? And that would have, I mean, boy, she'd have been backtracking. Well, Chael, can we uh, can we book you now to return to the show, maybe at least one more time between uh, now and November 8th? I'd like to do you this again. You can book me five more times. I think it should be our show. I don't know why we let other people come on this show. I guess just to fill the void. You, I'm, Frank, and I, this is our show, man. This is what we do. Monday night. When do we release this thing? Tomorrow, uh, midnight. Midnight. All right. All right. So you give yourself two hours of edit time. That's as close to live as it gets to the podcast world. Keep up the good work, guys. I'm always here. Thank you, Chell. Talk to you soon. Love you both. Kaboom. And there goes Chell Sonnen. The traditional sign-off with Chael. There's no... I'll, I'll tell you, sometimes when we tape an interview, Frank, uh, you, you don't always hear this on the edit, but uh, sometimes when we tape an interview, you know, we'll say, uh, okay, thanks, you know, thanks. And then I'll say, and we're clear. Hey, guests, thanks for coming on. You know, appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. I cut that part out. Not with Chael. It's just as uh, we experience it. He said, makes his uh, yeah his his proverbial mic drop there. That's a that's a Chael Sun and signature move. Yeah, exactly. Uh, actually, you know, Chael is very intelligent at, at, at everything he does. The, the words he uses, the way he speaks, and I like uh, his marketing. That's why actually something you alluded to earlier in the conversation about him fighting Tito. I think that's the Bellator's dream match. Uh, even if he only entertains the idea of fighting at two hundred five for that one fight. And then, you know, him being the uh, the show that he is, goes ahead and goes to 185, and you know everybody that wants to make a name can go ahead and go to him. But uh, that first matchup with uh, Tito and uh, Chael, I think, is uh, a huge, huge hit for Bellator. And I think will be one of the bigger, uh, you know, the most talked about cards and fights leading up to it. Couldn't agree more. Arguably the biggest thing that has happened to Bellator uh, in, since uh, Scott Coker took over the reins 
would be the signing of Chael Sonnen because uh, they, they've certainly had experience uh, up to now with, with, with getting big names. But, boy, when you talk about somebody who I think still has the physical attributes to do what he does but is fight in and fight out the incredible promoter and marketable that, that uh, market, uh, um, promoter and uh, marketable commodity, I guess is what I was trying to say, that Chael Sonnen is, uh, that's, a, that's a very big win for Bellator. So, speaking of that, Frank, let's talk fights. Frank, the UFC was in Brazil on Saturday. Chris Cyborg Justino uh, continued her dominance in the uh, created just for her <laughs> UFC 140-pound women's division with a second-round uh, TKO. A um, couple of things uh, about this. Uh, number one, not uh, a lot was known about her opponent, Lena Landsberg. Um but she certainly had the appeared to have the size necessary to uh, go in and be competitive against uh, uh, Cyborg. It was not a particularly competitive fight. Uh, Cyborg looked dominant, and um, uh, so now the question becomes: Does the UFC create? 145-pound women's featherweight division. Joe Rogan was calling for it on Twitter in the aftermath of the fight. And this is a deal where, you know, the whole original idea of her trying to make 135 pounds, the idea was, okay, she fights at 145-pound featherweight in Invicta. She's their champion over there. We need her to make 135 pounds this time last year, essentially, to take on the, at that time, undefeated Ronda Rousey. She didn't think she could do it. UFC said, okay, cut to 140. Let's have a fight or two down there. And if that works out, maybe you try 135. Well, in the process, Ronda Rousey loses. Uh, A year or so has gone by. So uh, all of a sudden, there's, and we don't know when Ronda's going to be back. So Or if. So, So all of a sudden, there's not all of this reason for Cyborg to get to 135 anymore. I mean, well, it's it's yeah, we, if you're going to fight at 140, why not just make it 145? No, I think we talked about that last week. It's something that I pointed out that, like, it's done. Just make the 145-pound weight class. Mm-hmm. You have a superstar in that class, a draw, and uh, Cyborg, uh, she, you know, she'll decimate the, the competition right now. I don't see another rival at 145, but... That's what 135 looked like about two years ago. Uh, Ronda Rousey was decimating the whole weight class. Um, they were knocking on Gina Carano's door to see if she would come over and fight to have a compelling fight. Now, there is a compelling weight class at, at, at 135 in the women's division. You have Amanda Nunes, who if Ronda fought her tomorrow, I'm not really betting against Amanda. Mm. She's a pretty impressive on her last outing and decimating Misha Tate. Misha Tate's still in the mix. Holly Holm. Um, there's... There's women there now that are that make up the more than just the one name, but it seems like for a division to first take off, you need that name, and you have it in Cyborg, and it's not a situation like I pointed out last week, where she's not like you know I hate to pick on the guy, but like a Kevin Gostelum, mm. who when you're looking at him and he says ah, I'm having a hard time making welterweight, and you don't even see one ab on the guy, and it's like well you know geez buddy couldn't you diet a little bit? Uh, Cyborg is shredded and. Uh, she walks around lean, you know. Um, she's cutting a lot of water weight and a lot, uh, you know, of muscle to try to make 135. And without, like you saying, the uh, the Ronda Rousey phenomenon that was there, it's been derailed. And the fact that we haven't seen any 
rumors of her even coming back or any kind of, uh, you know, we haven't seen pictures of her in the gym looking in shape, re-motivated. Uh, if anything, the pictures we've seen her, she looks on the heavier side tends to make me believe that she doesn't really have any ambition at any time right now to come back. Why is someone going to put their body through so much when there's really nothing to gain now? Or if she did, and let's just say that, that your, your assertions about Ronda Rousey uh, are correct, if she did decide to come back, but, but maybe she hasn't been at exactly the fighting weight slash shape she's, she's been in you know, this time a year ago, that sort of thing, maybe you make that fight at 140. You know, maybe even if you do, even if she does come back, yeah, because, even if you can still make Ronda versus Cyborg. I mean, Ronda is no longer the undefeated juggernaut that can dictate all her own terms. Right. She's no longer able to say, I'm the champ, I'm undefeated, you come to me. Yeah. That's no longer the case. And when you have really the biggest, you know, the highest paid athlete in our sport in Conor McGregor going up weight classes to fight non-title fights, I mean, let's face it, when he went up and, and he was able to take the fight with Nate Diaz, what a risk that was. Mm-hmm. He wasn't fighting a guy that was ranked in the top two or three of the welterweight or lightweight uh, division. He really put a lot of, on on the line there, and he went forward and done it not once, but twice. So... To me, it's like, Rhonda, if Connor can do it, you can do it. You can move up, and, and right now you don't have a title, and you don't have the same uh, momentum that you had going in. If anything, right now, Cyborg has more momentum and more destructive uh, uh, showcases in the octagon than she has at the moment. Do you think the UFC can continue to do this this one-off fight booking that they're doing with Cyborg? Because... She's fighting out. They don't have a division for her, so she's fighting out of a division. She's fighting five pounds heavier than the heaviest women's division in the UFC currently. I mean, they can book another featherweight, another women's featherweight fighter. They can get another one that's fought over maybe an Invicta in the past. There's already girls there. We can do it one more time. What I'm saying is, do you think they can just keep piecemealing her fights together, or sooner than maybe rather than later, do they need to maybe go ahead and pull the trigger on a division? I think they one? need to go ahead and just make it a 45 pound division. Mm-hmm. You already have your champion right now by having Cyborg fight at 140. You're paying her to show up and fight, and she's not your champ. I think that make her the champion. Brazil is a huge uh, you know market for us. They'd have one more champion to rally behind, and. Really, the other girls at 145 and Invicta and the other weight classes, you know, other divisions around the world, how much are you going to lose by signing them? Uh, They're not going to be the most expensive athletes right now because not a lot of them have uh, name power. They can't go somewhere else and say, well, you know, Invicta is going to pay me X amount. Well, that's not the case. So it's not like they're going to have to overpay for the talent. And to me, it just really seems like they're missing the mark. Here you have it. A champion just make the weight class why have her come down to 35 where you already have several stars and several champions i think just keep you know uh, progressing moving forward we see where the momentum of the women's uh division and its entirety is going so far every division we've opened up uh you know jajana just at 115 and we have several superstars in that division which are making intriguing fights and now we have the 35 pound weight class you have four or five girls that are very impressive in that weight class Make the 45, I think that it makes uh, all the sense in the world. I really don't see a strong argument against it. I don't either, especially with all of the momentum that the women's side of the UFC has been gaining. And, you know, you talk about the strawweight division. I mean, that was the second one that was added. Ioanni and Jacek was really the first 
superstar of that division after she became their champion? And did you see that she has now been booked uh, against uh, fellow pole um, uh, Carolina uh, Kowalkiewicz on the UFC 205 card at Madison Square Garden? I mean, you want to talk about striker versus striker. That's going to be a super interesting fight. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm very intrigued by that matchup because of both of their abilities as strikers on their feet and mobility and uh, footwork and angles. I think that uh, so far, uh, Jajasek has not disappointed in any of her outings. I think that's going to be a phenomenal fight to watch. I'm super excited about it. It's probably one of the more exciting fights I've, uh, you know, in the 205 card that's been uh, called for. Yeah, I think. Uh that press conference is coming up. The UFC 205 New York press conference is uh, – I got an email about this. It may be like uh, here in just the next couple of days. Uh, but obviously that's going to be the time to announce uh, the the finalized fight card. And a lot of people are wondering if there's, you know, one big shoe to drop on that. If for some reason, uh, you know, they're going to announce that uh, – uh, that, uh, Ronda Rousey might be coming back or Conor McGregor can get on the card because he hasn't been ruled out either. But uh, I'll get the date on that press conference here momentarily. I think it's coming up. Let's uh, talk about what happened, though, in the feature bout because that had some serious controversy surrounding it. Roy Big Country Nelson knocks out Antonio Bigfoot Silva, a couple of former opponents of yours, Frank. The knockout comes in the second round, devastating fashion. Roy Nelson, the clear winner here. The controversy wasn't around the the finish, at least between the two combatants. It was surrounding the role of referee Big John McCarthy. Nelson and Silva are friends, former training partners. I think you referenced that on last week's Mm -hmm. uh, podcast. And so Roy Nelson, uh, probably more so than most, uh, did not want to uh, do any unnecessary harm to his friend Bigfoot Silva. Nelson felt like Silva was out before John McCarthy stopped the fight. He was looking at McCarthy saying, essentially, are you going to stop this thing or what? McCarthy was saying uh, that the fight's still on. He needed to keep fighting. Uh, Nelson kept fighting. Knocked out Silva. Uh, McCarthy stops the fight. Nelson walks away. But then as McCarthy is bent over attending to Bigfoot Silva, Roy Nelson kicks him in the backside. Essentially, and Nelson, in in, in the midst of apologizing for what he did, uh, described his kick to John McCarthy as more of a push uh, kick. But nevertheless, put his foot on the referee, flipped him off for good measure. And now, Frank, uh, maybe Roy Nelson's saving grace is going to be that this is in Brazil, so he's not facing a, a proper state athletic commission hearing like he would in Nevada or California, for that matter. But nonetheless, I would think that's got him involved in some pretty hot water because there's pretty clear precedent against a fighter for any reason ever putting his hands on a referee. The one time it seems like you can kind of overlook it is if it's the fighter who's been knocked out and his he's got the cobweb he's not right. clear headed and you, you know see maybe, them going to autopilot to come up to grab a leg yeah he thought it was the opponent right. or something like that in this case I think it's going to be very difficult for uh, Roy Nelson to mount much of a defense here for his actions what do you think I agree uh, I, you know what as a fighter and you know uh, I get it that he's fighting uh, one of his buddies but they don't sign for the fight you know that's just the way it is. Uh, and if you do have to sign for the fight, you just have to, you know, take it seriously. And you go out there and, you know, I didn't, I kind of agreed with um, 
John McCarthy from what it looked like on television. And obviously Roy had a, a better seat than I did. But you know what? John McCarthy had a better seat than him. He was able to see it more neutrally. Uh, he wasn't gassed from being in the fight. He didn't have any emotions going. Um, he's looking and you know, John has always been a guy that's cared for the fighters. But at the same time, it, it, Silva still looked like he was there. He was stunned with the, the, the punch that dropped him. But uh, it didn't seem like he was lights out on the ground and, you know, were had uh, Roy at that moment walked away. Bigfoot might have been able to stand up and continue on fighting. So it wasn't fought to its uh, to the end. And so um, afterwards, then for him walking off and coming back, I think they're going to have to do something. Mm -hmm. Um, Because if they don't do anything. The next young guy that does this, because people are always looking for popularity and for, uh, you know, uh, looking for ways to get people to click on their name, to look on their social media. Roy uh, got a lot of attention for that push kick at the end of that fight and for his antics afterwards, uh, more so than the fight itself probably would have garnered him. So now the next guy comes up and does the same thing. Uh, you know, someone pushes or touches a referee. Mm-hmm. You're going to start having refs get upset that no one's really uh, protecting them. And at the same time, you know, how do you jump in and, and, and discipline the next guy if you don't discipline Roy? You know, because then you can sit there and start calling out being biased or, you know, uh, you know, choosing favorites. that You know, one guy can get away with something, another guy can't. If anybody runs a company or runs a business knows that you can't really do that. If uh, one employee commits a crime or, you know, uh, and does something, Something, uh, you know, an infraction of the rules, you have to discipline them accordingly because you can be called on sexism, uh, racism, uh, all these issues can start being brought up to be like, well, you know, what if a girl would have done it? What if uh, the guy had been black or what if it had been a Brazilian? Uh, what if, it, you know, what, all these questions start arising and it's just as easy to avoid any of that stirring to start to even, you know, become up to the surface by going, you made an infraction and there's a disciplinary uh, action that's going to occur because of it. Uh, the UFC 205 press conference, by the way, is tomorrow uh, for the Madison Square Garden card. And I guess what really remains to be seen, as I said, is whether or not there are any uh, last-minute surprise additions to the card. You know, Eddie Alvarez has been uh, pretty strongly rumored to be fighting on that card. I mean, more than rumored uh, has been uh, talked about by Dana White as far as fighting on that card. But what the confusion seems to be, whether or not it would be Conor McGregor taking him on or Khabib Nurmagomedov. Now it seems like um, it seems like uh, Dana White has been indicative of the idea that it was going to be Khabib Nurmagomedov. Whether or not that was a negotiating tactic because maybe things were stalling with Conor McGregor or not, I don't know. Um, there is this though. Um, there is a rumor that Jose Aldo may, in fact be the the UFC 205 main event taking on Conor McGregor in a rematch. And uh, let me just uh, read a That'd little bit. That would be huge. Yeah, that would That's be. a big fight. Uh, let me just uh, see what was said. Uh, there were a couple of uh, social media updates from uh, suggesting that uh, both Conor McGregor and uh, Jose Aldo may be in New York, uh, that essentially they were in New York, you know, the day before, 24 hours before the press conference. So that's leading a lot of people to speculate that, hey, I don't think Jose Aldo just happens to stop by New York City. Uh, and for that matter, even the fact that Conor McGregor there is, is there uh, could be a pretty, pretty big indicator 
that um, something may be up. That'd be huge. Uh, I think that's one of the biggest cards and fights they can make. Um, watching, you know, uh, you know, Jose come out there and, you know, you don't really own a guy when you catch him that quick. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 13 second knockout really didn't show anything besides that Connor's fast and hits hard and he caught Jose Aldo. Uh, but I think Jose, uh, I think has earned through the, his past leading up to the fight and then what he's done since the fight, uh, a rematch. Uh, he is the interim champ, uh, uh, Connor is the, uh, you know, the, uh, what do we call it? The uh, regular champ? The reigning champ. The reigning yeah, champion. The, yeah. He's not the undisputed, though. Yeah. So if he wants to have that moniker said correctly uh, before a fight, like it was said incorrectly for his fight against Diaz, mm-hmm. to be the undisputed champ at 145, uh, he has to unify the belts again. Yeah. And, uh, of course, that would have Connor McGregor going back down to featherweight, which a lot of people speculated might not ever happen again. So it does seem like that fight card, uh, I mean, even though it's it's already got some some great stuff on it, is in need of a headliner. I mean, they, they've made such a big deal out of coming to Madison Square Garden for so long that it does seem like you need one of those few names. You know what I mean? If it's not Ronda Rousey, Conor McGregor, uh, or and maybe the list stops right there, or the return of George St. Pierre. I mean, let's look at this card and talk about what it's got on it. Uh, a, a number of title fights, first of all, is, is what jumps out. Uh, Tyron Woodley defending the welterweight title against Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. I like that. Uh, we mentioned a second ago, Joanna Janjacek and Karolina uh, Karolkevich for the women's strawweight title. I like that. So there's two titles right there. Uh, welterweight uh, contenders, Donald Cerrone and the aforementioned Kelvin Gastelum and his one ab. Uh, are going to be uh, on the main card. I'm sorry, and Kevin. Then... Uh, from one guy that doesn't have abs to another. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like when you make the racial joke, and you're like, I- I'm black, I can say yeah, that. Right? I'm a fat yeah. guy, too. The only difference yeah. is um, there's not a 240-pound weight class <laughs> that you can sit there and go, well, Mir, you, you could go down. Yeah. 205 is about 80 pounds short of what I can be. Uh, also, Misha Tate and Raquel Pennington are on that card. Uh, and Frankie Edgar and Jeremy Stevens. Uh, at a uh, in a featherweight bout, and that's right there. I'm not boy. Somebody's going to have to get kicked to the prelims. I like this. This is all of a sudden kind of stacking up like uh, UFC 200. You know where we're going midway through the prelims before we can find a fight no, that wouldn't but headline at least a fight night card. And to continue drawing lines to UFC 200, you had a solid card, mm-hmm. but you didn't have that. You know, like John Jones is a solid champion. Daniel Cormier is a solid champion. But I don't think they're blockbuster mm. numbers that they produce. Yeah. Not like a Connor, for example, or a Ronda was uh, starting to produce. Um, that's why four weeks before the fight, they knock on uh, Brock Lesnar's door and get him to show up. Mm-hmm. And he almost, with all the different credentials on that card, was at one point for about 24 hours headlining the card mm-hmm. because of some of the uh, situations that occurred the week of the fight. So I think that uh, that's a strong, uh, you know, uh, correlation between the two that you're drawing between 200 and 205. All the fights on the 205 card are solid fights. They're all like we can go and name one of those fights that wouldn't be a fight night headliner. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of them would be pay-per-view headliners by themselves. Uh, but none of them are, 
UFC 200, UFC 100, like, oh my God, I can't wait to watch this fight because so-and-so, where it's not just the hardcore fans that are tuning in. And that's what I realized what they've had to do. There are those names that we have in our sport. You know, hardcore fans are going to want to watch Frankie Edgar. They're going to want to watch Jose Aldo. They're going to want to watch Joanna Jacek. But it's those casual fans that are only going to tune in when Brock Lesnar's fighting, when Ronda Rousey's fighting. Uh, those are the fans that we're not really capturing so far for UFC 205. The ones that leading up to it are going to have parties at their house, rent the pay-per-view that don't normally have any clue who's holding the middleweight class, uh, middleweight title at the moment. Yeah. Speaking of middleweights, Tim Kennedy's going to return to action. There's a blast from the past. Yeah. Tim Kennedy, who has not been seen since that bizarro loss to Yoel Romero. The long count type stuff. Yeah. I mean, you know what? I was in the, – the media sits in the uh, – behind the, uh, the, the, the blue corner. And I was in essentially, uh, you know, right behind Yoel Romero's corner where we, we sit at the media tables. Yeah, that was the uh, when Yoel Romero was basically out on his feet and he stayed seated on the stool after uh, the yeah, didn't answer the bell. Yeah, after the uh, the corner man had cleared the ring and there was all the confusion, they came back in, got the stool, bought him some extra time. He ends up finishing Tim Kennedy very controversial and Tim Kennedy uh, pretty bitter about that, understandably. So this will be the first time that he's returned to action since then, and he'll be taking on Rashad Evans, who's uh, dropping down to middleweight. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's a great fight. Uh, I'm excited to see the, you know Rashad get back on track yep. uh, and seeing Tim Kennedy come out and uh, you know knock off some rust and get back in there competing. Also, middleweights Tim Bosch and Rafael Natal. Lightweights Jim Miller and Tiago Alves. That's a good one. Man, this, yeah, I like it. I like, like I said, this, it's a uh, solid card. Yeah. You didn't pick a fight on there where anybody who's a fan of the sport that yep. regularly pays attention to who's moving up the rankings and regularly knows who's fighting and who the current champions are and where guys are ranked. I think that those guys are, are sold. They're watching. But those tend to be the 600,000 pay-per-view buys where you have solid fights and people are interested in watching. But if you want those upper of the 900,000, the 1 million you know, uh, benchmark to break, mm-hmm. you need that uh, – universally known outside the sport draw and so far i think that's where they're struggling and if they are able to get connor and jose aldo right now connor is the uh, superstar of our sport you know uh outside of you know who's the better fighter and and those kind of conversations where he ranks as far as fighting ability but as far as selling out an arena there's nobody who's going to sell it out more than he is. Well, that might be why Conor McGregor makes a last-minute appearance at the Madison Square Garden press conference tomorrow and starts flinging monster energy drink cans, maybe. We'll see what happens <laughs> Hey, did anything uh, ever come of that? I think they're still looking into it, as I recall. But as somebody who was ducking some of those cans, that got pretty serious in there. See, I'm always so impressed that as a corporation you know, or as a business – uh, things aren't handled more evenly like that to where it's like, look, uh, well, I guess it's the commission that came in that find uh, uh, when John Jones yeah. and uh, Cormier. Daniel Cormier yeah. and a shoe was thrown. Yep. But uh, I'll tell you now, you know, any day of the week, I'd rather get hit with someone's shoe in the face than get hit with a can of soda, well, yeah. let alone an energy drink, which yeah. is even heavier. I mean, you can knock someone the fuck out yeah. <laughs> with an energy can. I mean, you're talking like that's a, that, that's a major, uh, uh, 
That's an assault. I mean, could you yeah. imagine right now if I was at a barbecue right now and I picked up a soda can, some guy was yelling belligerent shit at me and I tossed it at him and I hit him. Police show up and go, what did you do? I'm like, well, I grabbed this and threw it at him. I'm like, that's assault mm-hmm. with a weapon. Yeah. Uh, you know, any other uh, world. No. I, I do like the fact that even in the, the, the heat of the moment, Conor McGregor uh, stayed true to the product placement. You know, Monster Energy Drink, the official uh, energy drink and projectile sponsor of the UFC. Let's do some Facebook feedback, Frank. Uh, we have some phone booth fighting listeners who have checked in via our phone booth fighting Facebook page that would like to be heard first oh, up. Let's go back. I'm shocked yeah. still. The more I'm sitting here, I'm like, holy shit. So you find the two black guys. Fifty grand, I think John mm-hmm. got fined, and mm-hmm. then eight thousand to Daniel Cormier. Mm-hmm. But you're not going to find the uh, the lighter skinned guys. Maybe maybe it just hasn't come up yet. I saw some story about that. Yeah, uh, there has to be because the more I'm sitting here, I'm going, damn, like that doesn't sit very well with me. Yeah, but you know how sometimes, like on their docket, it takes a while to come up on the the. You know the the NSAC, uh, especially agenda. with the state of the country right now, racism is very much at the top of everybody's conversation. You know, yeah. uh, it's it's a heated topic right now. You know, the, the different treatment between being a black man in this country and being a white man, and you would think as a uh, as a business, you wouldn't want to even humor any critics to say that there's any kind of. Uh, uh, yeah. thought behind that there's no you know I, I would want to silence like nope you know we don't see color we don't see race we don't see uh you know creed you know religion you know sexual orientation none of this matters to us gender age if you cause an infraction you're fine just like anybody else okay a hearing date has not been set on the matter yet this is according to uh, nevada state athletic commission representative that talked to mma junkie they have written formal complaints Uh, Those came out on September 6th. The commission's legal rep at the attorney general's office uh, asked the commission to fine the fighters, make them pay for their hearing, and pass along any other punishments deemed just and proper. So something serious could be coming down the pike. We may just not have seen it yet. It has to. I mean, let me me say this, though. Okay, they haven't set a hearing date. Conor McGregor is standing accused. What's going to happen if he gets that November Madison Square Garden fight booked, in the meantime, this comes up on the NSAC agenda, and they levy some sort of dis- uh, suspension. I mean, the precedent is set for the rest of the state athletic commissions to follow uh, the Nevada State Athletic Commission's rulings, right? Absolutely. That's what something's always been done in the past, yeah. especially Nevada being the, kind of the leader of the, the different commissions. When they uh, make a ruling, the commissions in general all respect each other. And if you're banned in Nevada or you're banned mm-hmm. in California, you're you're banned everywhere. Uh, you know, or you have to wait out your suspension for out the uh, the distance. Well, somebody needs to ask that question at the press conference tomorrow of Dana White. Hey, what are you going to do? That's assuming he announces that Connor's fighting at UFC 205 in November at Madison Square Garden. Somebody needs to ask the question. Hey, what are you going to do if between now and then he gets suspended? by the Nevada State Athletic Commission. Well, I think one thing you could do, I mean, uh, put my business hat on, is I go ahead and book them on the card Mm -hmm. and just prolong the uh, hearing. Uh, you know, it's not yeah. the first time we've seen that happen. Yeah, they could probably. I mean, it's it's almost October now. Yeah, I mean, by I mean, the time could, we get around to it and yeah. get them down here and get them heard, you know, 
uh, you know, the, the suspension or any kind of fines could occur after the fact of the fact. Are you given the right to a like an automatic continuance with something like that? Do you know? I don't really know the details on that. Yeah, I do. I have seen it though in the past. Where I mean, uh, by the time uh, one that I can think of offhand, and maybe you, Anderson mm-hmm. Silva, yeah, when he had his uh, uh, the drug test came back uh, positive. Yeah, um, I think it was almost nine months later. Was it not that? Uh, it wasn't a swift. Yeah, no, I don't remember the exact timeline, but you're right. It did seem like we waited quite a while. Yeah, by the time they went and retroacted the suspension, basically yeah. he only had three or four months more yeah. to wait it out. Yeah, it would seem, I mean, maybe that behooves the UFC then to go ahead and get that fight announced and on the books before, maybe now I'm kind of reversing my thinking. I'm thinking maybe strategically That's what the would UFC think. would want to get it on the books so that that way when the Nevada State Athletic Commission says, okay, we do want to set it on our agenda, they can say, okay, well, you know, Conor McGregor is fighting in November and, you know, he's middle of training camp or whatever. So can we set it for, you know, two months from now or something, you know, 60 days from now and basically get him on the other side of that fight I think before that's anything a smart happens? Move. Yeah. I think that's a, you know, the commission will still get to hand down their uh, sentencing. They'll still get their fine uh, and the fighters will still have to pay a price. All right. Facebook feedback time, Frank. Some of our phone booth fighting listeners uh contacting us via the phone booth fighting facebook page here we go susan cecil has this to say frank love your podcast i listen to every one and can't wait for a new one it really is very informative and i have loved mma since it started keep up the good work thank you susan it's nice to know we have uh, i mean i know we we have a number of female listeners out there but you know it's like especially uh, uh, you know, uh, a lot of times with the the fight count, uh, point counterpoint stuff like that. You know, we're talking to a lot of dudes. I like to know that there's some feminine faces out no, there. No, I get a lot of uh, uh, feedback when I'm traveling now on the weekends, yeah. doing seminars and appearances. Um, I, I have many women come up and uh, you know bring up the podcast, bring yeah. up Mrs. Mir. You know. All right, uh, yeah, I seem to have a we seem to have a good feedback from that uh, you know area. Glad to hear it. Uh, this is definitely a dude. Big Tony in Las Vegas. I don't think that's how any woman would describe herself. Uh, We'll go Uh, ahead and assume the gender. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, What's up, guys? I'm 50 years old. I joined the military at 30, and I love MMA. And I still listen to heavy metal. Right on. I'm doing my devil horns uh, uh, back at you over the the podcast here, Big Tony. Uh, Very big fan of the podcast. Especially like listening to Frank's views on his distaste for street thugs. Listening to your podcast feels like I'm hanging out with two of the buddies I just haven't met yet. Keep doing what you do. Thank you, gents. That's a great compliment to get. Always love hearing people say that they 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 feel like they're listening to a show, Frank, with a couple of their friends that they just haven't met yet. You know, another group that I really dislike mm. talking about street thugs, and I think the reason why I have such a distaste for people that are dog fighters, for the you know guys that try to in groups jump people mm-hmm. and think that they're a fighter, it seems like it's died down. Remember that fom- a phenomenon that was occurring there for a while, where everybody was trying to you know basically sneak attack. Uh, unsuspecting victims and try to you know punch them and see if they can get a knockout and they were yeah it was happening to like a lot of old people exactly now there's a difference like here i'm sitting here i'm like you'll see some young athletic kid you know that you know decent shape you know but you know he's 18 19 20 years old hits some elderly individual who didn't even know it was coming you probably would do a lot of damage on somebody that was in good shape and younger if they're just not seeing the punch come yeah 
and taking some kind of pride or credit. Like I've never been that guy. I could not sit there and know that I just knocked out an unsuspecting victim and think and pull and derive any cool points whatsoever. It's like, no, you're nothing like an MMA fighter. Yeah, I, I actually go against people that are knowing that I'm coming. They're preparing for me, watching video, and they're very dangerous in their own right. And that's a challenge. So that when I go home at the end of the night, I go, I beat that guy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like going out hunting. You're the equivalent of a guy that goes out and shoots squirrels just for the hell of it, or you know, shoots pigeons, and you want to sit there and tell me that you're some kind of big game hunter. I'm like, no, you're not. Yeah, not at all. No. <laughs> that's that's foolish. Agreed. This one uh, from Matthew Lane, Frank. He says, a little while back, you guys asked for feedback, and I felt compelled to share. It may run long, so please don't hate me for it. I am a granite sawyer. I have two saw tables, and I run all day while I listen to podcasts because I would rather have earbuds in than earplugs. Joining in on your conversation is great for me, especially right now as I'm playing out a failed engagement uh, with a year and a half old baby girl in the mix. I train, yeah, yeah. I train jujitsu as much as possible and was filling in on kids' classes, but the situation has been hard to balance my relationship with my baby and the separating of homes. I really enjoy all the fight conversation, especially the jujitsu when it's on topic. My first instructor competed in the previous EBI, so that's right up our alley. Submission only is my favorite rule set. Would love to roll if we ever get the chance. Anyhow, I really lean on you guys to help me get through the work days sometimes, and I appreciate you. I've gone on for uh, too long, so one last time, thank you. That from Matthew Lane. That's another great compliment. And, uh, you know, I'm sorry to hear that he's having the the personal issues. But, you know, just to say that, you know, we kind of – he can put the earbuds in and work his granite saws, and we go to work with him. You know, I I came over yesterday, Frank, because – He's doing the good fight. I really respect him a lot. Just from listening to that little uh, uh, script that we just read off, the fact that it concerns him that he's trying to make a a life for his daughter, that he's, you know, know, obviously tried to make the relationship work, and it takes two. And, you know, you can never really judge a relationship for what happens to it because only two people really know is the two people in it. And there's so many different uh, viewpoints going back and forth, but obviously, you know, he's not throwing the talent. He's handling it like a real martial artist that, you know, somebody that I would respect and have a lot of admiration for. He's going to, you know, it's like he's saying, it's not easy. It's rough trying to balance it all, but he's fighting, you know, he's still in there battling and, and the greatest reward is what you're going to be able to provide for your children. Yeah. It's, and you know, the fact that he's taken us to work with him, uh, he's kind of a great reminder of why we do this and, and the audience that we're speaking to. Uh, it's like when we get those pictures on our uh, phone booth fight Snapchat handle, Frank, I show you where people Snapchat us photos of what they're doing and where they're doing it while they're listening to phone booth fighting. And I came over to the house here yesterday. I brought the new posters over from our Fund Anything campaign. Frank and I autographed all the posters yesterday. That was the final piece of the puzzle. So those start shipping uh, the next couple of days with the T-shirt packages and all that. Quick update on that. But I was telling you, Frank, that one week ago, you and I did a three-hour podcast, um, episode uh, 65, I believe it is. Our last Tuesday one, right? Yeah. And the thing about it was it wasn't intentional. Uh, We've done things like that a couple of times in the past, just kind of stream of consciousness type recordings. There weren't. Well, any... I think those are the truest conversations we have. Yeah. Because when you and I sit down together, uh, if we have two or three hours to speak, 
to each other. I don't think we spend two or three hours on MMA, Mm-mm. martial arts, jujitsu. I mean, these are all concepts that I love, but mm-hmm. you and I seem to bounce around a lot on current events and what I think about this, or, you know, I might've, you know, had a disagreement with Mrs. Mir and we'll talk about it like, well, you know, mm-hmm. and you'll, you'll, you'll give me your feedback draw back on your experiences and, and i think that when fans really listen to that i think that's when we're not just filling them in and on our viewpoint of martial arts but we're just now just two friends that are discussing life i think so too and and we get the best feedback on those episodes and it's really gratifying because like that one episode that three-hour episode we did last week so we got done doing it it was very natural just flowed freely and as i'm posting it up i'm the person who writes the description so when they post <laughs> on itunes it's a description of like right, right. for example you know this description will say hey chill son joined us and then we talked about ufc brazil usually it's pretty cut and dry as far as the things we talk about and on that one i was just like where do i start with this okay uh history of presidential assassinations comma conspiracy theories comma conspiracy (laughs) theories comma some fights comma disney review disneyland review (laughs) comma and uh and i post that up and i think okay well hopefully you know people are going to dig this we'll see and it just it it without fail for whatever reason, those are the episodes that it seems like we get the feedback that says, I love this episode more than most. I like the fact that it was so much longer. And it's probably for a lot of guys, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's probably uh, for a lot of guys like Matthew who, you know, take us to work uh, with them. And their work day doesn't last 90 minutes like most of our podcasts. Uh, do they workday lasts about eight hours i don't know if we can turn in an episodes quite that long but uh maybe we can get you through the first part of your day occasionally with one of those longer episodes true i tell you where we're good at doing those is in the car yeah maybe uh we got another uh road trip probably happening pretty soon in front of us so uh, we'll make sure we're rolling tape in well, the car i got for one you for guys. you that's been really eating at me all night uh-huh. everybody's talking about they're going to vote for hillary whether they're going to vote for trump yeah I know that they say that's not the way to handle things, but I, I'm really wondering if we just start a movement where we just boycott the election. Um, yeah. <laughs> so that way, whoever wins mm-hmm. and they're shitty, mm-hmm. uh, at least that when I sit there and go, they sucked, I don't have to take the chance that one or the other one, I can sit there and basically kind of uh, really reflect the feeling I think a lot of people in this country are feeling, which is it's a shitty fucking choice we have right now. Uh, yeah. There's not a real clear-cut winner here. Yeah, well, that that would kind of go against my my moral fiber. But, but I mean, even you, I mean, yeah. you're making concessions yes. of your viewpoints and what you want out of your polix, uh, pol- politicians and yeah. what you want for this country by voting for Hillary. Yeah. Basically, essentially, I feel True. like everybody who's voting right now mm-hmm. is voting for what they feel is the lesser of the two evils Mm. it's like well yeah i'm gonna take hillary because i feel trump is so bad and vice versa i feel people some people voting for trump it's like well i mean you don't want hillary in there i mean you know uh you know look at she's lied about this and she's caught you know this and she's just another career politician Mm. i i very rarely hear people in the middle telling me that they're like well no i really like a or i really like b it seems like alien you know excluding the extremes on both sides that no matter what they no matter what you tell them they're 100 percent trump or 100 percent uh clinton there's not a lot of people in the middle that really have it seems like really the middle voters are actually voting 
it's like, well, I don't want them to be it, but yeah. I guess I'm stuck with this choice. Yeah, and well, I'll tell you, that I think the best way to prevent that from happening in future elections is actually to go the opposite way and hyper-engage. Because I think you get two versions of the same moderate middle a lot of times when the electorate is not engaged or or even best case they turn up and they vote for election day and then whether their person wins or loses they go okay see in four years i'll be back that's when all the the trouble starts is when the the uh the hen house is left unattended so you think the the problem is that most the middle didn't take care you know was not involved in the process of choosing the Democratic uh, nominee yeah. and, and choosing the, the Republican uh, nominee. Mm-hmm. And now it's kind of like, oh, shit, these are our two representatives? Yeah. So, for example, like, like I would be very excited. Yeah, if, so, I'm so, at fault for this. Yeah, so, 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 let me, so let me lay it out this way. So I would be very excited if Bernie Sanders had got the nomination. Bernie Sanders is somebody I really believe in as a real liberal. Uh, and he came close. He did great. But uh, that's a cheated. Yeah. Well, yeah, he did. I mean, you know, the, the, the Democratic uh, National One more Committee, reason not to vote for Hillary. Well, the Democratic National Committee was colluding against him, I think, for sure. But uh, but Sanders is somebody I would be excited about. But here's the thing. Uh, if you are a real liberal or I'll go ahead and say a real libertarian, both of those forms of government in order to guard against corruption would take – and 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 it'd be two different versions. With a libertarian scenario, it would be once you you know um, uh, once you you killed off all regulation, you would have to be hyper engaged as an electorate against opportunists. As a liberal, I want hyper regulation, but that also means that if I got that, I would have to be hyper engaged as a member of the electorate to make sure that regulatory bodies, unions, etc., did not become corrupt many already are and that is that is because people are not as involved as they should be so under those two scenarios and i think that's why a lot of times real libertarians and real liberals relate to each other in some ways because we're in a minority in terms of people that will really get involved as a result of most people checking out and again best case scenario maybe they check in for these few couple of weeks every four years you know leading up to the election we get what we get which are really two parties that are really kind of two versions of the the same party in a lot of ways you know uh jim hightower who used to be the uh agricultural commissioner from my home state of texas used to have a great saying he used to say not only could this uh party could not only could this country use a third party it could really use a second one i always thought that was a great expression because we don't get that when when corporate uh, when corporations get involved in politics. I mean, that is the definition of fascism. That's why I totally take out of the equation. I don't Which, get. Yeah. That's a question I ask you because you're much more educated in this area than I am. But when you tell me that the whole lobbying system is based upon that, you, mm-hmm. know, you sit there and tell me businesses there is no division it seems like Mm-mm. business is involved mm-hmm. on both sides mm-hmm. uh, hillary's campaign and you know and clinton both have businesses that are invested in their you sure. know all levels of politics uh, for a person to make it to the top, it seems like they're not their own person anymore. No, why do you They think? owe a lot of people favors. Donald Trump has contributed to Hillary Clinton's senatorial campaign. He was a donor. Right. I've seen pictures of them hanging out. Bill sure. Clinton, and he'll smiling be, and laughing. Yeah, he'll be the first to tell you, well, that was a political move. 
you know, I had to make sure that I spread the money around so right. that I curried uh, influence. And he'll also tell you, hey, I'm the best at gaming the system. I take adva- I know how to take advantage of the system. Well, that's that's not that doesn't impress me. You know, that doesn't make me happy to hear you say that. But at the same time, that's why I take off the table any of this, you know, trustworthiness. Do I trust Hillary Clinton? Well, no. But this isn't a this isn't a matter of I'm not I'm not now, picking somebody to date my and sister. And you see I'm the fact that, for a that job. Trump is a good businessman mm-hmm. as a negative, but I do. I, I kind of see that as a positive, not saying because of the fact that he's a good businessman that uh-huh. a businessman traits, but the fact that he's already good at winning and already good at succeeding at a system and when he sits there and goes well i take this guy and i take that guy i'm like well if you're against me i'm not going to like that but actually if we're all on the same team i kind of like the guy that you know what i mean it'd be like bill belichick for the patriots right they see all these things and how you know all these different scandals that have occurred mm-hmm. in the past well if you're playing against him then yeah you're not going to really like him as probably as a coach but if you're rooting for that team and you're mm-hmm. part of that you know organization don't you want the guy that knows how to get edges and, and look around and, and circumvent the system and knows how to play loopholes and, and take advantage of situations? Yes, but the problem is that on this team, known as Team America, you got to take all the losers along with all the winners. There is no cutting anybody before the first game of the regular season. Uh, to use your football analogy, mm-hmm. everybody's on the team. And when you look at it and you go, I don't understand why we've got all this dead weight on here i don't understand why we've got the underachievers how come everybody is having to be allowed to play it turns into like a kid's game you know where everybody gets in the game but if trump decides to be a good president Mm -hmm. and make the economy grow i know that every time we talk about any trickle down in economics you know reaganomics you know the difference i'm against it but if the economy is growing and you know nafta for example let's say he does what he says and you know that goes you know to the wayside if the country is prosperous, prosperous, would that not benefit everybody, even the guy, the lowest guy on the totem pole is not well, going to get dragged along? Yes, but the thing is, it, you, that's got to be able to happen. And you've got to look at what would stand in the way of that happening and why trickle-down economics doesn't work. So one, one phrase that gets attached to liberals a lot is uh, tax and spend. Is that a, be- so you hear a phrase uh, a lot – in reference to liberals, tax and spend. You've heard this, right? Like, oh, these tax and spend liberals. Meaning, well, all they want to do is raise taxes and then spend more money. All right, fair. But the only thing worse than tax and spend is spend with no taxing. Because at that point, you're just running up a credit card. That's like you know, running up uh, your charge card without having any income to offset it. So, for example, and this is the fallacy of trickle-down economics— Ronald Reagan tripled the debt, tripled it from 900 billion to about two point or 900 million to about 2.7, 900 billion, sorry, to about 2.7 trillion, right? Roughly tripled it. Um, That's what happens when you cut taxes for the wealthy uh, and then you expect this economic growth to occur as a result that doesn't occur. It was tried then. It was tried under uh, George H.W. Bush. He, seeing the, the, the fallacy of it, because he was the one who originally called it trickle-down economics, or rather called it voodoo economics uh, in the 1980 primary when he was running against Ronald Reagan, raised taxes on the wealthy. If you remember, read my lips, no new taxes. That's what did him in because he broke that pledge, but he broke it because he saw the fallacy of trickle-down economics. 
Then comes Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton balances the budget. Then comes George W. Bush, who takes the budget surplus and reinstitutes trickle-down economics. And the same thing happens all over again. So the problem with doing that, and this is exactly what Donald Trump is talking about doing, because he opened the debate talking about cutting corporate taxes from 35% down to 15%. Um, That's going to be the problem with that, because the the sought-after growth never occurs as a result. It's a nice idea. I wish it worked. I, I get the thinking. It's just that it's been tried, and it's flawed, because it doesn't work. So to go back to why, you know, having a quote unquote businessman at the helm isn't going to to translate well to the American government, we've talked about this before, is that the American government is not set up it's not a business. It's not a for profit business. It's a nonprofit. That's what it's supposed to be. So the the and Ross Perot would have found himself in this same jam. People who are used to being successful at business, I mean, they're they're dictators, essentially. I mean, they're chairman of their, their boards or they're sole proprietors or whatever they are, uh, majority shareholders. But that gives them the ability to hire and fire people at will. We don't fire our underachievers in this culture. In fact, we subsidize them. We come up with ways to prop them up so that we can drag them along. And to a businessman, a successful businessman at that, there would be nothing more counterintuitive than that. So I actually submit that if you just want to say on paper who the best qualified person would be to be a U.S. president, it would actually be somebody who's run a nonprofit because that's what you're going to be doing. Hmm. All right. I mean, it, 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 I get why to people when, you know, I get why people hear the message and why it resonates with them when somebody says, well, you know, because you say the same thing about Mitt Romney. You know, well, this person's, he's managed a budget. And this person's made tough choices and cut costs. And, and if they handle their budget that way in business and they're successful, then they can handle the American economy that way. It's just that beyond that headline, beyond that battle cry, is the nuance of realizing that it's apples and oranges because it's just two different systems. So that, for me, is what the election comes down to. I know that by supporting Hillary Clinton, I'm voting against yet another failed attempt at trickle-down economics. I know that if I supported Donald Trump, that's what I would be endorsing. So this isn't about personalities for me. I don't trust Hillary Clinton. Uh, I'm not excited about her. I think there's a whole lot of things I don't like, but it's more the system that I know I'm voting for as opposed to the system that I'm voting against. That's what it basically well, comes down to for makes me. Makes sense to me. And I like the fact that tonight at the debate, she used the phrase uh, uh, trumped up, trickle down. I mean, they're, they're, <laughs> they're focusing on the fact that this is, it's an old idea. That's the thing. The faces change, but the ideas, the systems are actually the same. And and the, 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 the harsh reality of it, Frank, I think, is that when you take you know, hundreds of years to create a problem. I mean, let's even just put the blame on like the modern industrial age and say that like, you know, since, I don't know, the 20s or something or the teens of the last century uh, is maybe when we're going to start the clock on, uh, you know, economic improprieties. Okay, that's still 100 years. So if we've had 100 years to create a problem, 
it will never be fixed in four to eight. It's 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 not going to fit inside one person's uh, term or even two terms. But the problem is they have to sell you the four-year or the six-year or the eight-year solution because otherwise you won't vote for them. I made this joke to you before, but it's like if I say to you as an honest politician, all right, uh, I've, I've got the formula. We're going to need to reverse course. We're going to need to go my direction. Now, you and I will both be dead before we really see it pay off, okay? And your children, if they're in their 20s, they're probably not going to really see everything get turned around either. But if we stick to this direction and we keep heading on the right course, their children, your grandchildren, by the time they're middle-aged, they might see the benefit. Nobody's voting for me. Nobody's voting for me. Everybody's tuned out and they've gone over to the other guy who goes, I can fix it in four years. Yeah, yep. people just don't work that way. That's it. Same mentality as if you tell somebody, I'm going to get up tomorrow at 7 a.m. And, and go to the gym. Mm-hmm. Of course you'll say that because the person that you're actually thinking about <laughs> is somebody else. Even though it's you, yeah. but it's in a different timeline, yeah. you don't relate that as being really a consequence you're going to pay for. Yeah. So and, vice versa, when we sit there and you right. tell me something's going to work out down the road, people either want to see immediate results or they want to postpone uh, negative aspects. People would rather have... The, you know, well, you know, you can get this now, but you're going to pay for it later. Almost everybody takes that deal. Yeah, and imagine, imagine that you're going to that gym because you're getting married in three weeks and you want to drop two dress sizes, let's say. And every trainer that you contacted at every gym said it can't be done in that amount of time, but you found one yeah. who's willing to take your money Tells and you say, "Yeah, no problem, we can do it," and you sign up with that one. All right, let's check in uh, back to Facebook here with C.J. Ellis Frank. Uh, He's checking in from Australia. Uh, Good day, gents. Just want to say I'm a big fan of the podcast, listening from the northwest coast of Australia twice a week. Frank has been my favorite fighter for a long time, and it's great to hear both of your points of views on the various topics discussed. One that calls close to home was the dogfighting discussion that unfortunately is a big problem in the town I live in, with dogs getting pinched all of the time. I'm a strong believer in humans protecting animals, and I'm glad to hear we are on the same page. I look forward to the next podcast, fellas. Cheers from uh clancy ellis thank you there clancy yeah i was i was talking to him a little bit of follow-up on email i said well dogfighting's not legal over there is it and he said no it's illegal but i guess in certain areas there's a a a problem with it over there and people will people will steal dogs like little dogs to use as bait in the dogfighting and so you got to be careful about even just leaving your dogs out in the backyard somebody didn't reach over the fence and take them yeah that's awful is there anywhere in the world where it is legal Japan. Shut up. Yeah. The last I knew of, it's still legal in Japan. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Yeah. And it, it, I'm sure it's probably legal in like some real third world place, like where it's not even a matter of legal or right. illegal. There's not even paying attention. But yeah, as far as like civilized nations, Japan's got a problem. They got it wrong over there. Yeah. Wow. There's so many times I point to them as having it right in so many other areas right. of the world. Right. I guess no one has it all figured out. I'm trying to get you guys an update, by the way, on the Dan Swift situation. People have been asking about that. That was the dogfighting story that uh, Clancy was referring to that we covered a couple of weeks ago. His court date was supposed to be last week, September 22nd, Frank, and I reached out to the uh, investigators. I haven't heard back from them yet, and I couldn't find anything online as far as a follow-up. You know, a lot of times with these trial situations and hearing situations, they get postponed and continuances and things like that. So something like that may have happened, but I'll get you guys an update as soon as I hear one. And then uh, lastly, this one. 
and uh, this is a bit of a lengthy one from Don Paul Moore. But the interesting thing about this one is, Frank, you know, I was talking about how people like it. Uh, seems like uh, by and large, just overwhelmingly, when we get into the philosophical stuff, the political stuff, and we start comparing opinions and sharing our thoughts and viewpoints. Uh, sits sits well with a lot of people, doesn't necessarily sit well with Don. So let's hear him out, okay? Uh, From Don Paul Moore, he says, Hey, Richard and Frank, I got to tell you guys, I'm just hanging on by a thread. You're about to lose a listener. Richard, you and I are at the total opposite ends of the spectrum on many issues. God, guns, conservatism versus liberalism, politics, 9-11, you get the drift. I have no beef at all with you guys giving your opinions. In fact, I like to hear what the other side has to say about things from time to time. What upsets me is when you don't give at least some chance for rebuttal. What's even more maddening to me is when you try to state the case of the other side of the argument. For example, when Frank was citing the pro-God argument given to him by a guy on a plane, or it might have been in a bar even, I can't remember, I just remember thinking, come on, this is not a fair representation of our beliefs. A guy on a plane? A guy in a bar? Really? And you guys scoff at the 9-11 truth movement by making vague references to some who say planes did not hit the towers. By the way, did I not warn you that we would hear from the truthers? I told you. (laughs) You said it. All right. Um, Did not hit the towers, and you totally leave out the fact that there are far more sides to the 9-11 truth movement than just the folks who think the planes were holograms. Of course, there are some zany theories, but what about Building 7 and the thousands of architects that say Building 7 was a demolition? That's a huge smoking gun. Again, you bring up the hacks, but leave out the questions the trained professionals have brought up. Conservatism versus liberalism. You have Frank giving the counterpoint to liberalism. Really? Other than the gun issue, he seems like a moderate to me. I will say, though, I thought he spoke on the topic in an informed manner. Why not reach out to Sean Hannity to speak for conservatism? I bet he would agree to be on the podcast. He's a big MMA fan. He's actually had Demetrius Johnson on the program. I didn't know that. i got to ask Mighty Mouse about yeah, that. That's cool. That's interesting. Um, uh, let's see. Why not invite Dr. Ken Ham to give some counterpoint to the existence <laughs> of God? Do you know Ken Ham? Yeah, I do. I don't know Ken Ham. Oh, <laughs> who is this guy? Oh, <clears throat> wow, that got a reaction. Are you okay? <laughs> you have to, speaking of doctors, I think I'm going to give you the Heimlich yeah. maneuver, choking on your cigar over there. What happened? We'll share some stuff off there. Okay, okay. All right, back to Ken Ham. <laughs> Hold on. All right. Well, now you got me intrigued. Uh, to give counterpoint to the existence of God, why not invite a rep from Architects and Engineers for Nine and Eleven Truth? Uh, I like the show for the most part a lot, but you guys can upset me a lot, especially when it feels like you spin the counterpoints of your position. I like the show enough that I just wanted to give you my thoughts on it and see if you might consider some of the things I've mentioned. Of course, it's your show, and you can go in any direction you want, but if you leave me frustrated and mad because I feel some of my views are being misrepresented, I'm just going to have to say good luck and thanks for the times I found the show entertaining. Thanks for your time. Don Moore. Okay, I just want to point out a couple of things and give me your reaction no, to what he had to say. All right. I'm first, actually interested in the, uh, <clears throat> the the architect idea. If we can get yeah. somebody from that group to talk, uh, at, I'm all ears. I at, like to hear different at, ideas at on that. At the very least, we'll get Eddie Bravo on here for you. Have you, ever, that, have you ever no, heard of him uh, do 9-11? Is that he feel the conspiracy? Yeah, he's a, he's a big... Uh, oh, then he, yeah, then yeah, absolutely. He's a big truther, yeah. Yeah, we could do that with him. Um, 
He has a lot to say about Building 7. Okay, so here's here's first things first. And, and, and this is not to pick on Don because I have had to make this point throughout my broadcasting career, my radio career, um, and, and it, I think it's a common misconception. The difference between reporting and commentary, the difference between a journalist and a columnist. So when you read the newspaper, if you're reading a news report about something that happened, there are not, opi- facts, yeah, not, opinions. not opinions inserted in there. However, if you flip over to the op-eds, Which you're getting opinions. Are. Right. Those are commentators, and that's what we are. This is not a news program. No, um, we are commentators, and we can only really give our points of view. You know, now if we happen to have a guest on, like tonight, we had Shale Sonnenon, who I thought gave a great, uh, you know, conservative representation of his take on the debates. If we happen to have a guest on, that's awesome. But we can't hold back our opinions it, trying to make sure that we have a guest on to represent every possible angle before we speak, or else we'd be stifled all the time. You know, True. we wouldn't really be able to. Um, have a free-flowing conversation. So that's kind of the first point I wanted to bring up about that. And the second point was when he said, if you leave me frustrated and mad because I feel some of my views are being misrepresented, I'm, I'm just going to have to stop listening to the, the show, uh, to paraphrase there at the end. But that's like saying, Frank, am I supposed to be frustrated and mad because my viewpoints weren't represented in his email? Like, should I have just stopped reading the email because there was only one point of view and one of those points of view was not mine? Because that's kind of what you're saying, right? Absolutely. You know, um, and trust me, as somebody who thinks largely outside the the mainstream, um, I wouldn't hear much if if it was a litmus test for me, wait a second, is my viewpoint being represented and what I'm in fact a lot of times I steer away from that like as a as a satellite radio subscriber, you will not find me parked on the quote unquote progressive channel because I already believe a lot of that. Like that's I got all that down. I don't want to just huh. sit here and silently agree with two or three voices on the air. The whole time, uh, I'm actually sort of uh, seeking out and and looking for uh, the opposite. And then, uh, um, you know, the, the the last point that I want to bring up is that, um, and as I said, we got you know overwhelmingly positive response to the very episode he's talking about. To that very one. That's mm-hmm. actually the one that everybody was like, oh, my God, I love it when you guys do this. Keep doing more of this. Right. Keep doing more of this. And I think that might be the very thing that they enjoy about it you know i think it might be the very thing that they find stimulating so you know i don't want to lose don as a listener and i hope that i hope that at least by reading this and you know he's certainly getting his viewpoints represented in this uh in this email that that he took so much time to compose and and i appreciate his thoughtful response here but hopefully he feels like that is you know some kind of representation but um anyway i'll go ahead and just pass it to you what are your thoughts yeah no i I agree with everything you just said and um i think in a lot of ways you know uh well and i think that i i very much self-describe myself that way socially i'm extremely liberal Mm -hmm. um uh, fiscally i'm extremely conservative that's basically a libertarian yeah i mean that's my mindset so if you bring up homosexuality i'm i'm all for it you know Mm -hmm. let's go um Mm -hmm. i have no issues appreciate the offer yeah Well, I have oh, yeah, that, you weren't speaking yeah, direct. I, I have that belief oh, that yeah. if two uh, people of 18 years of age, what they want to do with another person who's of 18 years of age, yeah. 
that's kind of between those two individuals. Um, mm-hmm. It's not my cup of tea, uh, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's things that I enjoy in the bedroom that, uh, that you know, one of our listeners probably wouldn't enjoy the same way. You know, uh, uh, that being said, then on the God aspect of it, as far as bringing up other people, and, and I think basically saying that we keep setting up straw man type arguments, mm-hmm. and um, I try not to, but but the bottom of the line is that I've realized with with religion and God and and, and totally in, in that area that people pretty much have a belief and they're always going to search out aspects of that to just reaffirm that idea. And I've really tried to approach it from an open mind to where if someone could come at me with a really logical, and I know who Ken Ham is. I've, I've watched a lot of the videos on YouTube and, and uh, the one actor from Family Ties. Uh, uh, Family Ties? Are you thinking, are you talking about Kirk Cameron? Kirk Cameron. Oh, he's, he's, a, he's from, uh, not Family Ties, he was on... Uh, uh, Oh, what was he on? But uh, so Kirk Cameron, yeah, he's with. He's a big proponent of uh, Ken okay. Ham. Gotcha. And um, every time I've watched anybody from a Richard Dawkins to uh, you know uh, Sam Harris to uh, 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 you know different atheists, you know, and then different also uh, you know theists. Uh-huh. Um, the argument always kind of ends with me that basically at the end of the day, questions are constantly being brought up that can't be answered by either side, really, except for one side says, well, you just have to suspend your critical thinking mm-hmm. and just have faith and believe. And that's just where I get lost every time. And it's not from a lack of effort on my part. I tell people that I have friends that are religious and, you know, we sit down and sometimes we're having a beer. They, they'll look at me and go, really, you don't think? I'm like, no, I'm sorry. I feel that your mind is basically who you are. And, you know, I'll set off different ideas that I have upon it and they'll set theirs. And there's, you know, there are times that they bring up points and I bring up points that there's not a, cl- a clear cut, uh, conclusive uh, evidence. And, you know, and I kind of look at people and be like, do you, do you really think I don't want there to be a God? Yeah, I'm pulling for it. I really wish there is one, but I can't sit there and lie and tell you that I feel that there is a God. Right. Um, obviously, you know, all things are, there's nothing a hundred percent proven, just like I can't a hundred percent prove that Santa Claus doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I've, I've actually got more evidence well, to that. I'm pretty sure that I'm going to vote that he doesn't. Um, right. I could be wrong, <laughs> but, uh, but that is the same idea. It'd be like trying to get me to believe in Santa Claus. When I look at it and go, I'm just looking around at the different information and that, 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 uh, that I've tried to search out and I can't suspend my thought process enough yeah. to, to buy into it. It's not from a lack of wanting to, mm-hmm. I have children. Do you think I like the idea that I a hundred percent in my heart believe that when they pass or when I pass, there is nothing else. Yeah, you won't see them again. I'm never going to see. This is the one life it. I have. Right. Uh, I like the notion of there being an afterlife. Me too. It sounds very comforting. Yeah. Um, but I would be a. It would be. I'd be lying to you if I told you I bought into it. What I'm hoping for is a pleasant surprise. Yeah, that'd be great. And I and I actually have no ill will towards anybody that has those beliefs and they need. You know, they have that. And there's a part of me that almost kind of even admires it. I'm like, wow, so you must really feel good. Uh, you know, that's great. You know, the only time I ever maybe come up in arms is when you try to impose those beliefs on other people. Say you don't believe in abortion, and you tell me it's because of a God that you believe in. I'm like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Mm. That's not the way to go. If you want to tell me that, you know, 
how abortion impacts society negatively or what risks it brings up, Mm -hmm. I'm all ears. But if you're telling me it's based on a faith, then I'm going to tell you, well, that's great. But what happens if you're not the majority of the faith? You know, what about the people that don't believe in that, even if they are religious? What about, you know, you you have, you know, different uh, groups of religion. There's thousands of different uh, belief systems out there. Obviously, the main being, you know, Christianity, Judaism, uh, you know, Islam. Um, But that being said, you know, even amongst themselves, I mean, you can't even find two different groups of Christians and the Muslims don't even agree with each other. You have Sunnis and Shiites that are killing each other and they essentially believe in almost the same exact thing except for a few. Who was the real next prophet? Was it the teacher or was it the nephew? You know, like, and so, um, that's where, you know, I hate to, you know, I'm sorry that I, if I offend anybody on that, but it's not that, again, um, I, as you can hear me, I'm not really attacking anybody's beliefs. It's just that when they sit there and go, so you don't believe in that, I'm like, no, I don't believe. Are you surprised, just as an aside, this is something I always wonder about, you know, the, the conspiracy theorists or the 9-11 truthers and all that sort of thing, um, that they are all, it seems like they are almost always religious they're conventionally religious people they're yeah because even when you brought up uh, i remember i was having a great conversation one of the times i was sitting down with uh eddie bravo he he came to the gym we were going over some of his rubber guard stuff that he does the twister and his lockdown and then we go to eat lunch afterwards and we're talking and uh he is more spiritual than i had expected and Uh i was okay with it then we were sitting there, we were talking, and not that I, what does it matter if I'm okay with it or not? That mm-hmm. was his belief system, and right. I, I didn't have right. an issue with it. But he really thought, you know, that the, the fact that I didn't believe in psychics, kind of, he was like, no, I had an experience, and he, and he went through, and one of the times, maybe if we can get him on the air, he can, he can you know, yeah. so that way I can do him justice. He yeah. can, you know, uh, disclose his encounter that he had with a psychic. And the whole time I'm just sitting there, and I'm trying, in my mind, I'm not going to, you know, decimate his belief, but if he asked me a question, then I was like, well, you know, James Randall, uh, Rand- uh, there's a foundation uh, that they've set apart a $1 million prize for anybody that can show any supernatural powers. Mm-hmm. If you can foretell a number, if you can read a card, you can read someone's mind, you can move a pencil, you do anything that some of these psychics and charlatans who take people's money uh, claim to do, do it for him mm-hmm. under a scrutiny of a, a lab, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, you win a million bucks. Yeah, the, that, the, that's pretty impressive. I mean, it started out ten thousand, yeah. and now it's a million dollars, and uh, it's still out there. Two thousand sixteen. No one has able to show every time anybody with any kind of hype and i've seen different guys that really had huge followings go on there and 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 on camera they're having an off day they're they're not able to you know because you don't believe in them they're not able to produce results and and to me i always go back to science i'm like well if i got a chemist on set and i'm like can you this reaction that you say is going to occur you can make it you can duplicate it well Yeah. yeah So you're telling me that if I mix, you know, carbon with hydrogen, this is what's going to happen? Yeah. Well, could you do it on camera with us all watching? Well, yeah. It's not like the chemist is going to pour those different ingredients in that uh, in the beaker and go, "Shit, man, I'm having an off day. The stars aren't aligned. Your faith isn't there." So that's why I'm very much a scientist in that aspect of thinking. And uh, the one thing that I do that I think a lot of people would probably be better off doing because it doesn't stumble in the search of knowledge is I say I don't know. Whenever something comes up, 
I don't make up some kind of explanation. I can't know? prove you wrong any more than I right. can prove me right. And the burden of proof is always on the person making the claim. Should be. And that's, to me, an analogy I draw to martial arts. Mm-hmm. The other day, I was showing Anna Hulitin, right? We're mm-hmm. working on jiu-jitsu in the gym, and we went over something, and she put her hand on the mat in a different way that I did. You know, I'm like, well, I do it this way, and she did it that way. And I'm like... Honestly, I don't have an answer for you. Mm-hmm. I was honest. I didn't feel because I'm this black belt in jujitsu that I had to make up a reason. I looked at her and very honestly looked her straight in the eyes and said, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if one way is better than the other. Let's try it out. But see, that's why then it doesn't, by me saying I don't know, it allows us to now train and try to figure out what's the best way to put our hand on the mat in that particular pass. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes, I do. Where had I made up an explanation? Well, one time in this, when I really didn't have that knowledge, I would have hindered her growth. And religion throughout the years and centuries of that I've been aware of has always hindered mankind, mm. not enhanced it. Uh, back in the day, you said someone got sick. It was because of spirits and diseases. Yeah. I mean, even Jesus would talk about casting out demons. And now we're like, no, 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 that's a mental illness. No, 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 no. That's a virus. Mm-hmm. This is bacteria. And by us actually making those claims and looking at it, people went out there and bucked the answers that were given to them that weren't the right answers. But people just didn't want to hear, I don't know. Well, and also the people who were in charge of the village or the tribe or what have you, they didn't want to say, I don't know, because as soon as you do that, now your position as, as elder is weakened. They, yeah, they, the primitive people look to you to, to be the, the answer when they don't know. So that's how you get things like Greek mythology. Yeah. You know, when it's thundering and primitive people are afraid and they look at their leader and say, what's going on? He can't say, I don't know, because then it's going to be apparent he doesn't know any more than anybody else. So he goes, uh, that's um, Thor, yeah. the uh Thunder and God. I guess what I really look for now, and I think that because of the day and age that we have now, yeah. somebody just having intelligence of facts and numbers yeah. and knowledge of things is not really that great of an attribute anymore because if you want to tell me that you have a great knowledge on World War II, I'm like, well, that's great. Basically, I have Wikipedia. I can Google something and try to get at least on the path of searching that knowledge. I look for people that are critical thinkers, that are able yeah. to go ahead and be problem solvers, because that's something that really computers and knowledge and just books can't replace. Yeah. You can't sit there and go, well, how come a computer just can't solve a disease? Why do we still have men and women looking at different, you know, and running through tests and running through scenarios? Mm. How come the human mind is still the problem solver? Well, because a computer can only think of what you put into it. But as far as ones and twos, you're never going to beat a computer. It, it's facts and, and, and it's compilation of knowledge. I mean, right now, my smartphone in my, uh, my pocket has more knowledge than I could ever gain through a thousand lifetimes of going through college. Um, but it can't solve problems. It can only solve what I can put into it. So that's, again, going back to my you know, religious discussion with people. I have very, I mean, uh, name of one of my friends out. I think besides you are my only atheist friend. Hmm. All my other friends are either Christian and uh, I have a Jewish friend or a couple. And then 
I don't know if I have well, a couple guys I train with that are Muslim, but mm-hmm. I don't know if I have like any close friends that are Muslim that I'm mm-hmm. aware of. Mm-hmm. But uh, everybody, even people that I have that aren't maybe fitting into the, you know, my mother-in-law, you know, there's a good example of you. She's not religious, but she's spiritual. So when we sit there and talk and she'll try to talk to me about reincarnation. And I, you know, I, I sit there and nod and, you know, and I listen to what she has to say. And, you know, at times when someone wants to ask me a question, I always kind of really start off with, do you really want me to answer it? Because, you know, like, the, I know I've been in this conversation a thousand times. Mm-hmm. It's going to go to, well, you just got to have faith. I feel like that's every time I've ever ran the gauntlet. And then people always want to, you know, I'm going to, you know, uh, my manager, Malky, is, you know, very Christian, you know, and then, you know, I always constantly hear from him, you know, one day I'm going to get you, you know, you know, convert you over. I'm like, but why? Yeah. But it would be fake. I'm telling you that what I've seen compels me not to have a belief and mm-hmm. i'm not an idiot if all of a sudden you know jesus or allah or whoever may you know be you know a yahweh showed up um i'm not a dummy i would be like oh shit well i made a terrible mistake how come you're so shitty at fucking running the world? You know what I mean? Like, can I ask you a question? You know what I mean? Like, why do we have cancer? Like, that makes no sense here. Where does free will mix into that one? You yeah. know, why did that, my, what, why did, uh, my friend's child die of SIDS? You know, like mm-hmm. when I was younger. And then, you know, how come, uh, you know, uh, I just went to, we just went to the Chris Angel. How come his kid has leukemia? And how come the young lady that stepped on stage and showed a picture of her four year old died of a brain tumor? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, cause God works in mysterious ways. Ah, damn, there's that faith thing again. You keep moving the goalposts on me every time I sit there and try to get you to solidify down on a a statement. And, and it's just, you know, it's just like the creationist, you know, down there and building up a museum. And uh, for the most part, again, I'm very neutral on this stuff. It's only when you, when I think that you blatantly pass about misinformation that I ever get kind of upset, you know, telling me that the world's only 6,000 some odd years old or that, you know, basically that dinosaurs and man either coexisted or that dinosaur bones have been placed here as a, the devil's deceit over us. Uh, that sounds interesting, you know, but, uh, I I don't know, you know, and why don't we see miracles anymore? How come, you know, they were seen to be so prevalent in the past. Why don't we see them now? Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, just, you know, cell phone cameras, yeah, I mean, <laughs> bottom line is, though, no matter what I say, what do you say, yeah. um, the people right now that are pissed off listening to me talk, because you think that, you know, that, you know, that, that, what you, that I'm wrong and this, it's like, really, is there anything I could possibly show you or say that would stray you? In fact, anything psychologically, it's been shown that when I show you evidence in the contrary of your beliefs, it only strengthens them. Right now, this person that really believes in what they're believing in, if I bring up any points, it only enrages them more. They mm-hmm. only get more frustrated, you know, more in that direction. And, and and so I've really kind of abandoned that cause. When I see those atheists, you know, out there that really want to, you know, you know, drum, you know, you know, bang away at the war drums and want to go to town. Uh, I, I don't know. Not to say I'm a quitter, but I'm kind of like what you're battling psychologically just is, you, is you're not going to win. Well, that's actually, I think, why I seek out other people's viewpoints, because um uh, and and listen to, to to you know programming or narratives that might frustrate somebody like Don maybe is that um, what I I want to take away from listening to somebody else's 
solid point of like for example from early in the program chill sonnen and i disagree on most things politically but i always know when i'm talking to him that we're going to have a pretty sober conversation there's not a lot there's not going to be a lot of hyperbole it's not going to be like oh it's just because you know he's not going to tell me oh it's just because you don't have any faith and i'm on i got god's guy over here so you just don't you just don't know any better i mean i think uh we we realize that we're both intelligent people and we're going to have a give and take uh conversation but i think when i hear opposing points of view one of two things happens for me either a my opinion is fortified because i challenged it i questioned it i sort of workshopped it in my own head and agreed that's a thought police coming for me by the way uh, that uh, boy, it's a rough neighborhood, Frank. I just worry about things over here. I uh, uh, because either I am fortified in my point of view because I listen to this other point of view, and yet I still feel as strong, if not more strong, in my point of view. Or this isn't the worst thing in the world. Maybe I question my point of view a little bit. Maybe I find a couple things that hey, I didn't. You brought up this thing or that thing, and you know what? You got something there. Doesn't make me. Totally abandon my belief system, but maybe I could uh, I could take that into consideration. That's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing when you do that. It's not a bad thing when somebody else, when a, you're a smart person, another smart person comes along and makes a smart point, and you go, "Oh, thanks." You know, uh, I was already a, a, a black belt, but another black belt who had a little bit of a different training path than I did showed me something, and guess what? Smarter now than I was. 30 minutes ago when he showed me this thing. Yeah, and and I like it too when I do that. And that's why I try to make it to where it's not relevant what you believe in. Yeah. I try to make it to where we have a discussion about something that faith or lack thereof doesn't really become part of the issue, that we actually base our decisions or our opinions off of facts that can be substantiated. For example, if we're going to talk about abortion, if you tell me why you're against it, then I'm going to say, well, explain. If you're like, well, you know, it's a life. I'm like, all right, well, let's now argue and let's let's pick apart what's your definition of life? Mm. Is it every time you ejaculated on your wife's stomach? Are you also now creating, you know, is that genocide? I mean, is that yeah. awful or is it a certain term? I mean, obviously, I don't want to find out about a woman. I don't think that's right that has an abortion in the third trimester. Well, why? Because, well, that's a fully developed fetus. So then I'm going to sit there and go, that has a brain function. That baby's kicking and, and moving and has dreams and has a brain. That's a life form. That's what I would consider the definition of a life form. But if you sit there and go, well, how many weeks before it even has a brain? How many weeks before those little cytoplasm of cells actually duplicate into some form of what we consider life? And then I think that now we can have a debate not based upon what you believe a religious context of what life is or lack thereof, but a more or less just let's just use our, our brains. Let's not sit here and go off of what something maybe told us, but you, I'm trusting you right now. And you should trust yourself to have enough intelligence to sit there and have a discussion on what's life. Do you think that four cells grouped together is life? It's the potential of life. Mm-hmm. But I mean, how many women don't even tell their my wife, every time we got pregnant, the first month or so, you don't really tell people. Want to yeah. know why? 
A lot of women lose babies yeah. within the first month or two. It Real doesn't, really, you know, it doesn't stay very common. You don't want to tell everybody and then have to go back and tell, tell everybody you're not pregnant. Thing you know what I mean? Yeah. You, you kind of wait till about right. eight weeks. About right. eight to ten weeks. I felt, you know, we always felt was the safe time to be like, okay, yeah. we're pregnant. You yeah. know what I mean? This isn't just, you know. Um, but if you go and you look online, you can punch up numbers. Uh, more babies are lost within the first couple of weeks of conception than anything else. So then I would argue that basically the biggest uh, abortionist out there would be a god. Because mm-hmm. if he's controlling fate or controlling reality in some form of another, um, babies are being miscarried all the time very early on. A woman misses her period for about two weeks. Oh, no, there it is. I'm like, no. The body was trying to get pregnant there, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, and so, uh, again, that's why it shouldn't matter. That's why I like the fact that the country should be based upon the separation of church and state Mm -hmm. is that when we put laws into fact and to to act, let's get together as a, as a group, as a humanity and, and sit there and go, well, is even when people tell me, here's what I always get, well, where do you draw morality from your morals? If you, uh. If you're not religious, if you don't believe in a God. And at first that always kind of scares me because then I look at somebody and I'm like, so you're telling me that you would try to kill me and rape my wife and burn my house down if you thought you weren't going to be punished in the next life? Yeah, if that's all that's, that's holding, all you, it's back, holding you back, right? buddy. Yeah. You go ahead. Why don't you call me on the phone? Once you leave, I'm going to lock the front door because yeah. I don't want you in my home. Um because we can show that morality, basically, you know, uh, Sam Harris has a phenomenal book on it, uh, neurologist, uh, neuroscientist, and, and it takes down that morality can be basically summed up in the causing of suffering. Mm. If I take something from you, it causes you to suffer. Mm-hmm. If I hurt you, it causes you to suffer. So, I mean, as really as simple as that can be drawn down to is like, well, did you make that person suffer? Yes. You caused them pain. Yes then that wasn't a very moral act. Right. Whereas sometimes in religion, I have found in my past uh, that morality is basically going in the word of God. And I've seen a lot of atrocities in the name of God, uh, of all different gods. I'm not really singling one out. I'm not saying that it's the Muslims. I'm not seeing Christians and, uh, and whatnot. Uh, I've seen some pretty awful shit done in the name of God. I mean... More killing, you know, in the name of... God or whatever you call them, whatever your your uh, your deity is, more killing in the in the name of that than anything else yeah. throughout the history of the world. And the reason that I brought up the question originally about the you know the conspiracy theorist is that this is what confuses me. They are being conspiracy theorists by definition. They are they are uh, anti government control, anti-establishment control. They do not buy the narrative, the official story from the government, whoever seeks to control its its population. And in a general sense, I'm okay with that. I think we were talking about that last week. Uh, yeah. uh, we were saying, listen, I if you've got a conspiracy theory, I'm listening. I'm not just blowing you off at face value, but you got to have something. You know, go ahead and tell me what you got, and then I'll, I'll, I'll base my judgment on that. But everything can't be a conspiracy theory. Sometimes— well, Building 7. I have heard that before. Yeah. And now, actually, it has perked my interest again to where I want to investigate a little bit more because I yeah. do know that nothing hit Building 7. And right now, I would be lying to you if I knew a great explanation for why the building came down on either side. Well, see there, Don's email got us to yeah. talk so, about I mean, that. You, you, so, but, you're right, Don. I mean, there's a good point that now I'm going to try to search out both sides yeah. and, 
and then I can only, I guess, make a decision based upon the facts that I see on either side. But what I was going to say about the religion thing is what's weird to me, and like Alex Jones comes to mind, who is the InfoWars guy, and I've done his show as a guest in the past. And I know a lot of people who believe as Don does listen to Alex and know his beliefs and all that kind of stuff. And Alex is a big proponent of a number of conspiracy theories, the main one being 9-11 was an inside job. That's one of his main things. Um, and, you know, New World Order and all that kind of stuff. But he's Christian. And this is what's weird to me. To me, conventional Christian religion in this country is the ultimate form of control. That, to me, is the ultimate conspiracy theory. I mean, when you really think about conspiracy, I mean, at least with 9-11, we've got videos and, and evidence and, you know, court filings and all the rest of that. With Christianity, you've got, you know, 2,000-year-old uh, text of which there are no original manuscripts. Not one word is written in the first person. It was all told after the fact. It's been translated so many times over by people who had agendas. To me, it is the... but And yet, those people, those same people who are going to question something that um, you know happened 15 years ago right in front of them are not going to question the, the, the institution of conventional religion. To me, that is the ultimate conspiracy theory. Yeah, when it comes but to controlling that's people, the scary aspect that I—that's why I guess I, I'm a, such a proponent of uh, critical thinking. Yeah, is even my children when they go to school and they find out someone will talk about something, I try to give information without trying to, as little as possible, uh, influence their thought process. Yeah, I kind of get a kick out of them trying to find out the answers for themselves. I feel as a parent. It's not really my responsibility to bestow beliefs upon my children because beliefs change back and forth. I like to try to give them the tools on which to find out the truth for themselves. Mm -hmm. And that's the part about, you know, kind of, an, you know, it never goes without saying when I sit there and someone goes, yes, I'm Christian. I'm like, let me guess. I'm going to take a real, I'm going to go on a stretch here, buddy. Uh -huh. Your parents are Christian. Are you a Catholic? Your parents are Catholic, right? Yeah. So you just were lucky enough to be born in the religion that was right? And just like across the sea, we go over into Mecca. They're all Muslim. Their parents are Muslim. Their grandparents are Muslim. What do you think their kids are going to be? Yeah. You know, and, and then I think that's it's stepping outside the uh, the thought process. And, and that's the part, too, that I guess that some of my friends that are a little bit more religious than others, the only time I ever sometimes sit there and go, look, if someone can make you believe that, what change, what, what about the next belief system that comes out that is a little off? Or, you know, you know how do you know that someone doesn't come on? And you see, I mean, there's some very rich uh, <laughs> uh, religious uh, individuals out there. Pays well. It pays really well. I mean, there's yeah. times I told my wife, I'm like, I kind of get a, I'm very good at cold readings. Uh, you know, I had an interest in it at a young age. I did enough research on it that, uh, you know, and a couple times, you know, whenever, you know, the girls all come over here, my wife and her sisters and friends, and, you know, they get off on that whole, you know, the, the stars are here when I was born and influenced my personality. Well, astrology. <laughs> astrology. Yeah. Yeah. My, my wife's going to be pissed right now. Yeah. I'm making fun of her. Yeah. But here's a funny thing. Now, she knows goddamn well I don't believe in that shit. You yeah. know, like I even sit there and go, okay, wait, you know, someone will tell you the moon affects tides. So, so then Mars, I'm like, 
Jupiter has no influence on this planet. There's no instrument you have, no scientific that we can look at besides through a telescope, through lens of light. Are we able to see? It doesn't affect our you know, nothing. It doesn't affect us whatsoever. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but then I, I always came back with a very sweet in term of endearment towards her. What I'm saying, but I'll tell people like, hey, tell me your birthday. Mm-hmm. Me, September yeah. 18th. You're a Virgo. Yes. Right. I don't even believe in this shit, but because my wife likes it and it makes for entertaining conversation, it shows you how much I love her, uh-huh. that I humor it. That I, I mean, next time people see me out, tell me your birthday. I'll tell you your astrological sign. <laughs> <laughs> tell me if I believe in the shit. <laughs> yeah. But, but. uh you know, so I mean, for the most part, that was a bad day. I remember one time she had a friend over, and that was probably the beginning of the end for me, not really imposing my arguments on people. I know I've been doing it now, but I just kind of got on a rant. But for the most part, most conversations, almost all our friends can sit there and I don't talk about it too much unless you corner me. Yeah. Write an email into me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, but one time my wife's friends, they had a little book out. They were doing people's sun sign and their moon sign and their charts and all this shit. You know, what time of day, where you were born, what, you know, where your, your Jupiter ascending were. Yeah. <laughs> so I pulled out the iPad. I'm like, all right, go. You know, I started going over strong force, weak force, which only work on a quant, you know, a smaller level and, you know, different, you know, you know, different forces of physics. And, you know, basically I became the killjoy. <laughs> Uh. I got kicked out. <laughs> and then there you go. So then yeah. that was actually like a description of I'm like looking and going, wow, here's a group of fully functional adults that drove large vehicles over here that pay bills. <laughs> and here they believe in something very fantastic. Drove and then, large vehicles. And then where I sit there and thought, well, wouldn't you like to be enlightened on how the fallacy of that thought actually yeah. is that you are you're you're proposing? And then when I break out a little, you know, a couple of Google searches and sit there and go, well, look at this, look at that. Well, this person wrote this and well, hold on, you know, what you're talking about, you know, is is this and, and then went through it. I was actually spun, spurned, you know, like get out of here, you know, can't yeah. people just have fun, you know, you know, why why do you gotta be such a killjoy? Why do you gotta be a yeah. dick? I'm like sitting so there going, wait a minute. When has enlightening people and bringing knowledge been been an asshole, you know, uh, right. uh, thing to do? See, and that's my Neil deGrasse idea Tyson must be the biggest dick yeah. in the world. You know he's, what I mean? Like he's not welcome at the astrology party. No, no, but that's okay though. See, that's I'd rather go to your party. So next time that happens, we'll have our own party. Yeah, well, you, you know, and me and Neil deGrasse Tyson. In the world. You know, when uh, Carl Sagan, I no. go back on his videos before he passed away and some of the things. I mean. That guy could say things and, and talk about the universe. And I mean, I, I'm not, you know, a NASA scientist by any stretch of the imagination. There's so many things out there about the real world that are provable that blow your mind and seem magical as hell to me. I'm like, wow, that, that really happens? This, the, oh my God, really? Um, why do we got to make shit up? You know, it's a crazy thought. This whole long section of the podcast where we've been getting into all this. Matthew has been listening to it while operating a granite saw. Shit. Sorry, Matthew. <laughs> no, it probably, hopefully it made the time uh, go by a little quicker. Yeah. So either he's laughing with us or he's pissed off with Don right now. <laughs> I'm sorry, Don. 
Yeah, no, I I really appreciate the long email that he wrote. Hopefully, he keeps listening. But uh, you know, hopefully, it, it, it at least in some way represented no, a different Don will position. Never change how he thinks. And uh, but you know what? In in uh, uh, he he can look at the fact that uh, it at least got us uh, wanting to call Eddie Bravo and uh, get yeah. him going about Building well, Seven. Maybe we'll then, do that. And then that's true. Uh, what was the other group that he said that was uh, uh, for the Truthers? Oh, he's got like uh, architects for. 9-11 truth, something like yeah, that? No, I mean, I'm interested in looking. So, I mean, I'm open-minded, and I'm going to yeah. go investigate the different areas. Let's start with Eddie, because that's one number. I've got that number. I okay. just text him. I don't have it. Do you have... know who actually is the worst? If you at all have any kind of, like, I'm way too much of an apologist uh-huh. for him, uh, is uh, Joe Silva. I've heard this. Oh, my God. I've heard this. Joe Silva, do not... Because that dude sits up on the computer and has a library of books uh, from Dawkins to Christopher Hitchens, yeah. Sam Harris. So you're talking about atheism. Is, uh, would, well, no. And the guy is actually – you start bringing up the Bible. Yeah. He'll pull out scriptures and go, well, that said, hear this, and it contradicts it here. I mean, it's the point where I'm looking at it. And, then, and I've actually taken a few notes for myself because I'm like, you yeah. know what? I've ran across that question before, and I didn't really have a good answer for it. And he goes, oh, yeah. really? Like if I ever run into somebody that gives me a hard time or I'm sitting there yeah. going – Hey, you know, you post some good ideas. Hold on. He's one of my go-to. Let me send him an email, and, and then all of a sudden, the information I get back just blows it out of the water. See, I feel like I have been deprived not knowing Joe Silva on a personal level because in media, you know, he doesn't do interviews. UFC doesn't let him do interviews because well, he's involved in matchmaking, so they don't want him to. They don't want him or Sean Shelby to do interviews. Well, now they, he's no longer with the UFC. Maybe. No, that's what I was going to say because they're they're sort of looked at like Supreme Court justices over there, yeah. where they really don't want him doing interviews. And see, but he has the thought process. Where he and I don't see eye to eye, yeah. maybe I just haven't moved along far enough, is that he feels, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but you know, we'll get him on the show and maybe yeah. he can articulate uh, more of this thought process. But where, whenever you have a Muslim go in and, and, and do a bombing, does that mean that out of the billion Muslims out there, what percentage really are the extremists? Mm-hmm. It's a small percentage, mm-hmm. right? Sure. There's a broad spectrum of Muslims that are not crazy. And the same thing with Christians, just like how Don was pointing out, well, you bring up people that are not a representation. Well, you're right, Don. I can go out there and find some crazy ass doctor killing Christian, you know, or the guy up there, was it in uh, uh, Switzerland or where was it up in, uh, in Europe? The Christian, the kid that killed like 80 people on the terrorist attack? Oslo? Off the top of my head, I don't there know. There was what an Oslo. About, yeah. Anyways, well, off air, we'll have to fact yeah. check. But, anyways. Obviously, I could pick out and pick and choose, you know, uh, you know, the extremes of each group. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the majority of the part, Christians are not dragging doctors out of birth control clinics and, you know, and crucifying them. Yeah. You know? uh, it's a small percentage. And are there those ones? Yes, there are a few. Uh-huh. And so uh, Joe's standpoint is, though. Where I and I don't see eye to eye on, or I guess I still have a little bit different of opinion, is that I don't really attack like my friends. Mm-hmm. Most of the people I associate and train with aren't uh, planning up any kind of you know uh, terrorist attacks that you know that of. I know of. But he feels that that ninety five percent of the normal thinking. Uh, 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 portion of that religious base gives power mm. 
to that 1% of the fanatical crazy yeah. fucks that are going to do shit. The 4%, you know, I'm just making up percentages. Right, but, right. You know, for the most part, I think we can all agree that most Muslims are not trying to, you know, death to America. That's just not the case. Right. And just like most Christians are not out there shooting, you know, doctors that are giving abortions. There has been cases, and we can point to, you know, where, you know, uh, there has been atrocities committed. And I always find that where when they do, then no matter what, that religious group will sit there and say, well, they don't really represent us. I'm like, really? That guy said he was Christian the whole time and was beating the horns, and now he's not a Christian? Well, no. But that's pretty easy that yeah. you can pull that label right off of somebody, you know? Well, But he, he gets there, and so he will, if you sit at the table and you go, well, I st- I, that's how we started off. Mm-hmm. At the time when we first met, I was like, eh, I'm probably more agnostic, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and he goes, do you really know what that means? I'm all... I kind of think there's no way to really know. He's mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm kind of in the middle. He goes, well, you could be agnostic, but then an atheist means that you're, you actually are without belief. Theism being That's a belief. That's true. So he goes, are you agnostic and an atheist? I'm like, well, I, I guess, I don't know. You know, and so then, you know, then my uh, email got bombarded with information of different, uh, you know, links and, and, yeah. and topics and books and suggestions to go out and, you know, Barnes and Nobles was making a pretty penny off me for a little while. And I would be so interested in talking to Joe Silva about this. So what we need to do is once he retires at the end of this year, we need to book him as our first guest of 2017 because that's when he'll be retired from UFC. He's leaving at the end of the year because I, I, I mean, we've said hello. We know each, we know. He knows who I am. We shake hands or whatever when I see him, but it's just that, you know. And uh, no, you guys will get along very well. Where you are the very like Daniel Dent of maybe the atheist type Mm. of community, uh, he is much more of a like uh, Christopher Hitchens and will straight at you and attack your beliefs. And where where I will and and I might agree with him on this uh, is that I do think just based on what you're describing, I do agree that there's there's kind of two camps there's those who are in the invisible man club and those who aren't right now if you're in it there's a lot of people i care about that are in it you know my elderly grandmother's invisible man Club. yeah i mean you know my my elderly (laughs) grandmother's in it and she will uh uh leave this mortal coil uh committing nary a suicide bombing i guarantee it um but nonetheless She's in that club, right? Um, nobody ever kills in the name of atheism. Nobody ever. In fact, I, I think I just saw a new. Uh, I saw someone time. Okay, here, let's put out in case anybody's confused right now. Hitler was not an atheist. He actually was very much of a Christian. Hitler actually even had the uh, uh, stamp of approval from the Pope during mm-hmm. that uh, little fiasco. Helped him hide a lot of art. Yeah. yeah, the so, Pope uh, did, yeah. You know, the only, uh, you know, but there are, are there been atheist uh, dictators that have been horrific? Well, yeah. Oh, that's Pot, not, that, not yeah. that they haven't done it in the name but, of power. No, no, they don't, that's, yeah. that, that's the point. None of them did it because they hated religion or religion wasn't even a fact. It's just they just didn't happen to believe in anything. Right. And they did shit in the name of power. But I haven't had anybody do anything in the name of atheism. Right. But uh, uh, what does happen is obviously uh, a lot of killings happen in the name of religion. So my, my feeling about it is it's kind of like being a recreational drug user. Like, I don't do drugs. I'm 100% straight edge. So guess what? There is zero, and I mean zero, chance that I will ever develop a drug addiction. Now, if I'm a recreational drug user, oh, yeah, don't worry about it. I'm not one of those hardcores. I just do it on the weekends or at parties or whatever. Okay, fine. And you know what? Maybe that's all that happens to you. But you're in the drug club. 
See what I mean? Now we're talking about moderating your use of the drug and when is too much and when is a little more than you're used to and when is this is a little more extreme than what you normally do, but that's okay because you're backing off of this and now you're back to it's it. Now all of a sudden it's managing and moderating. So you're, you're, you're in that pool. You, you, you're, you, it's either a toe or you're halfway, you know, you're up to your waist or you're in, you know, five feet uh, uh, above your head or in that pool. Face down. Or that, <laughs> exactly. That's what I was going for. So I will kind of give him that, you know, you, you've got to have uh, a, a membership to the club to be considered for uh, martyrdom. You know, you, you can't uh, you can't be in it if you don't believe in it, I guess is what I'm saying. Uh, but I would love to talk to him about that. That's really uh, cool to find that because I've always been impressed. I've always heard that he had this encyclopedic knowledge of uh, fights and fight history, which obviously you'd have to have the UFC matchmaker. Oh. He might even actually be more versed in religion. See, that's amazing to me because that's like, I mean, being kind of like basically an expert in two different fields no i've sat down and spoken with one of my wife's friends her, her husband is a, a, a preacher uh-huh. and uh, i've had some discussions with him and i without a doubt would bet that joe silva knows more about what's in the bible and the quran and the torah than uh than most religious guys that make a living off of preaching out of a, a religious book. Man, I can't wait to have a conversation. So with that's what just makes it hard. Cause yeah. then, you know, people then will, and then it gets into that game of, of winning. And I guess that's where I pull out. Cause then I, I look at Joe, I'm like, so you're going to win this argument. Yeah. But that person's not going to change their thought. All they're going to do is avoid you and hate you. Mm-hmm. They're going to go off and just, you know, then they're going to justify, well, I could have said this. And well, he didn't realize this. And he's not taking this into account. But then they know better than to actually attack him because mm-hmm. they know verbally they're going to get slaughtered. Uh, but it didn't really change anything. I, and I guess maybe that's just the fat guy in me where I'm sitting there. I'm like, you know, it's kind of like giving advice to a person. Mm-hmm. You know, if I think you're going to take it, then I'll, I'll give you advice. But if we've had a conversation four or five times and you're like, well, I really like to lose weight. And I'm like looking at you like, oh, yeah, that's great. Let me say it I'm again. I'm not going to be a dick. Yeah. I'm not going to sit there and break your dreams down. But if you're yeah. like, hey, Frank, you know, what do you think I can do? And I'm like, dude, we've had two yeah. hours of conversation on this. I'm going to be like, oh, I don't know, man. There's lots of stuff on the Internet. You know, you know I yeah. don't know. Uh, yeah. I'm not really an expert. Yeah. You know, like I, I just avoid the output of energy. Yeah. Because I sit there and look and like nothing's going to change. Why bother? Yeah. Unless – like, again, it's kind of like, you know, if you come into my yard and try to influence with my family or my children, you know, we have, you know, our way of life. Well, then now I'm up in arms and I'm like, no, 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 you know, get back in your yard. You can be as crazy as you fucking want mm-hmm. and believe in any boogeyman or whatever and, you know, cut off chicken heads and, and do whatever you need to do to make you feel better. Just do it on your side of the fence, man. Just stay over there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, uh, Man, now that I've I've heard all this uh, about Joe Silva, I've got to uh, I've got to get into a conversation with him about this sometime or another. By the way, the UFC matchmaker. If you don't know who we're talking about, we just say Joe Silva like we assume everybody knows who that is. But he is the uh, longtime UFC matchmaker who has announced his retirement at the end of this year. He'll be leaving the UFC, and you heard me mention that uh, they don't make those uh, guys him or Sean Shelby, the other matchmaker uh, ever available for interviews. So we'll have to talk to him as a civilian. All right, Frank, 
uh, we've gone long tonight. Hopefully, uh, we'll, some of our uh, uh, listeners who appreciate the longer episodes will like this one. Got to work in a couple of plugs here. First of all, T-shirts. Uh, if you would like your official Phone Booth Fighting T-shirt, uh, the web address to go to is phoneboothfightingshop.com. That is phoneboothfightingshop.com. Dot com. All sizes and colors are currently in stock and shipping now. If you have ordered a shirt uh, in the last couple of weeks or so, we may have been out of your size. I got confirmation that there's a big box waiting for me at home, which means that uh, we're now restocked in all sizes, so those will be shipping. If you haven't ordered yours yet, honestly, it's the best way to support the show right now. Uh, get your official Phone Booth Fighting logo t-shirt at phoneboothfightingshop.com. Also, live tapings coming up. We will be frank at no regrets bar uh here in las vegas on october the 5th that is wednesday october 5 if you happen to be in the las vegas area come out to no regrets bar here in las vegas for an absolutely free show live taping sit around and uh, listen to us tape the podcast uh road dates frank you are going to be uh traveling again this weekend are you going back are you going to tulsa that's what I, I saw something posted October first yes. at the River Spirit Casino. <laughs> I had to think about it for a second. I'm like, wait, yeah. is it Denver or yeah. no, no, next weekend's Denver? This weekend again is Tulsa. All right, October first, uh, Frank will be at the River Spirit Casino for uh, XFN Fight Night 336. That is, is that in Tulsa or just outside of Tulsa? No, this or? one's actually in Tulsa, I believe. Okay, very good. So you can go. Uh, see frank there at uh the xfn event at river spirit casino also uh october the 9th frank i will be returning to the la comedy club inside the stratosphere hotel and casino on the las vegas strip doing my stand-up comedy an 8 p.m show at the la comedy club and if you would like to be on my guest list i would love to have you on there i don't think i've done one show there so far where i haven't had at least one or two phone booth fighting listeners on my guest list. And if you listen to this show, that's good enough for me. You're my friend and you're going to be on my guest list. So just hit me up on social media and uh, send me a direct message and I'll get you on that guest list for uh, Sunday, October the 9th. I will be returning to the stand-up comedy stage, LA Comedy Club, inside the stratosphere. All right, this is the part, Frank, where we tell everybody how to follow us on social media. Me, it's easy. Twitter and Instagram, at Richard Hunter. You, it's easy, at uh, the Frank Mir on Twitter and Instagram. Official Frank Mir on Facebook. I'm official Richard Hunter on Facebook. But then there's the show pages, Phone Booth Fighting. That's your department. It is my department. And before we go, real quick, to help Don out so it doesn't seem like I just – because, again, I'm only going to share my opinion, and, and obviously my opinion is going to be contrary to what he thought uh ken ham uh the individual he brought up oh yeah uh, you didn't tell me the ken ham payoff yeah, well, he actually has a debate with uh, uh bill nye you know bill nye the science yeah. guy yeah man i grew up loving that guy wearing the kid. bow tie that guy and yeah. so uh you know ken ham is somebody who <laughs> uh, that's why i kind of choked a little bit and kind of laughed because uh he is a firm believer that the noah's ark is noah's ark Mm. That it wasn't a uh, you know uh, a parable. It wasn't no, a fa- it was, yeah. It was like it, a real thing. It that is happened. down. That is science. You yeah. know. So they actually have created an ark somewhere uh, in the Midwest, not a place I've planned on visiting. Mm. <laughs> actually, I probably should. I probably you know. Give it time. You'll be doing a seminar there. <laughs> 
you know, but you know, believing that you know. So when you sit there and people talk about Noah's Ark, yeah, you know, the world six thousand years old. This mm-hmm. is the guy that thinks it. So even though I don't believe in what he's saying, and I side with Bill Nye and and the other educated people of science, uh, you know, any of our fans listening. There you go. There's something you can go out there that's an intro uh, into the debate of both of them going back and forth. So that way um, I'm not, you know, I'm giving out actual yeah. information that you guys can go out there and, and think for yourselves. It doesn't have to be just take my word for it. My friend Hal Sparks has a great uh, stand-up bit about Noah's Ark and how long it would have taken the, co- the two koala bears, for example, from Australia to get to the Ark. Uh, like even after they got word that everybody was meeting at no. the ark, my kids at seven years of age was one of my proudest moments of my daughter. She, someone had, in, in school had brought up, you know, Noah's ark, yeah. and so she asked me a question about it, and I was like, "Well, you know, I think we can find the dimensions that are in the Bible, mm-hmm. and if we look online, I'm sure somebody, some Christian, is, you know, has probably converted it over and." give us an idea so that we can find out, you know, as big as the empire state building or, you know, no. whatever. So we can try to give some kind of, uh, of, uh, of perspective to the situation. Mm-hmm. So she, she asked me, so dad, so, so the lions, what did they eat when they got off the boat? <laughs> I just smiled. I was so happy. I'm all, <laughs> I don't know, baby. I've been trying to figure that out for the last 37 years yeah. at the time. How old I was, you know, 32 yeah. years. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Frank, tell them oh, how to so, follow the show on uh, social so they, media. Uh, find us on our Instagram and uh, on, go, Facebook and Instagram mm-hmm. is Phone Booth Fighting and our Twitter and Snapchat at Phone Booth Fight. That's it. We are always accepting new followers, so please hit us up there. Uh, if you go to our iTunes page, if you subscribe to Phone Booth Fighting twice a week in iTunes like I do, then uh, you know we have an iTunes page. Please click on the uh, five stars. That keeps us... Uh, near the top of the podcast rankings. It's very helpful for us to have those five-star reviews. So uh, just click on the five stars. If you have a moment or two, uh, write something uh, nice in the comment section. That helps even more. But above and beyond anything else, and Frank, I just ran into Uncle Eddie uh, at uh, your house here yesterday. I came in for the weekend. He is the number one proponent of telling a friend. That's what I, I don't even have to coach him. I say, Uncle Eddie, what are you doing? What are you doing right I'm telling a friend about phone booth fighting. That is the best thing you can do to help us grow the show. Just pass the word on to a friend, somebody that either uh, likes mixed martial arts or they're just a fan of good conversation. Hopefully uh, you see that in uh, our episodes. They come to you twice a week. Tuesdays and Fridays is when they post up. Available on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, SoundCloud, uh, right there at phoneboothfighting.com. You can uh, get them as well. All right, well, this is the first of two episodes for the week, Frank. And uh, I believe Lewis Smolka, UFC featherweight uh, contender, is going to join us on our next episode if everything uh, goes accordingly. He's got a fight coming up this weekend. And uh, Frank and I will reconvene later on in the week. So for that man, Frank Mir, I'm Richard Hunter. This has been Phone Booth Fighting, and we'll see you guys next time. Everybody was comfortable.